Thursday, March the 24th, 2022. Thanks for tuning in to another episode of That's What G Said Podcast. An old man today, uh, another year older, wiser, 35 years old for me today. And because of uh, the just busy, busy nature of everything going on in the world of sports right now, we're actually going to have two shows this week. And next week, WrestleMania is coming up, big racing all over the place uh, over these next few weekends. So let's tell you what we're going to have on this episode of That's What G Said. We will have Friday Racing from Santa Anita, Best Bets. Friday, Sam Houston, full card. Saturday, Santa Anita, Best Bets. And then Saturday, Fairground Stakes Races, the final four with Emily Gullickson. Emily spends about 45 minutes with us talking about those uh, four races on the Saturday card from Fairgrounds. Then we finish up with the old wrestling rewatch, WrestleMania 1. The one that started it all, the first WrestleMania Andrew Champagne and Darren Zocali join. So that's going to be on this episode. Tomorrow, I will have an episode that comes out, the Saturday Sam Houston Spectacular. We are going to deep dive the Sam Houston Saturday card. It is Texas Champions Day. It's one of the biggest days of their meet. They only have a few weeks left to go, and I have a ton of guests that join me for that show. I've been already putting it together. Martha Clausen helps me set the scene. Trey Styles going to join me for the late pick four and best bets. Jessica Paquette going to join me for the early pick five. And then Nick Tamaro going to join me for the late pick five. So we're going to have a full crew dedicated to that show for Saturday for Sam Houston. And then we'll also have wrestling with Chad Cooper. We'll also have some uh, a segment on everything that's going on in the NFL. Oh my gosh, have you seen all the player movement, free agency, trades? There's a ton of stuff happening. So Eric's going to help us catch up on everything there. And we'll also catch up on what's going on in the world of the NBA. If you need some uh, college basketball talk, we'll have previews for you every day on BTV, BTV Bets. Better Than Dot Vegas. This show is presented by Better Than Vegas. And so Friday... 6 o'clock p.m. Eastern Time. We'll preview the four games there on the Friday slate. Saturday and Sunday morning, 10 a.m. Eastern Time. We will have previews of the games there as we get closer and closer to the final four. It's a big weekend coming up in college basketball. So because that's so fluid, I won't really be talking about that on this show because by the time most of you heard it, the uh, first four games would be over. So those are be those will be daily on those live video streams if you follow on Twitter at BTV Bets. So BTV Bets has so much happening right now. We've got the Monday and Thursday Mohawk shows. We've got Tuesday and Sunday NBA. We're finishing up with college basketball, and then we're going to transition on into baseball soon. You've got Pitches and Pints, which covers soccer. You've got some comedy shows in the lineup and uh, the backdoor cover. So it is uh, – unbelievable amount of content and it's all free for you over there at betterthan.vegas there's a t-shirt right now at oldsmokeclothing.com slash btv and if you check that out it says i don't bet i win um that's a collaboration with better than vegas and old smoke clothing and it'll be a way to show your support for btv bets so go check out that shirt there as we dive on into the horse racing portion of this episode
horse racing fans, many of us have been using the DRF, the daily racing form, for years, studying the races, keeping up to date on news with all the articles. I remember looking for a copy at the local liquor store or picking one up at the local racetrack, wherever I was going. Now it's even easier and cheaper than ever to use DRF with DRF.com and the newly optimized DRF mobile. You can get all the tracks that you want to bet and handicap. Past performances that are mobile optimized for on-the-go handicapping on your phone. So you go to DRF.com from your mobile device, no additional cost. Tap the calendar icon on the top left. It opens all of the options for past performances and for the tools that are available. One click to bet now and DRF bets. Get real-time odds and scratches on race day. You can tap on any horse and you get those same DRF past performances that you're familiar with with a larger font for your mobile display. One click to formulator for charts, for replays if you get the formulator version, and even on the classic past performances, you get the home screen with horses, with odds, with buyers. You get a lifetime buyer speed figure graph. You can rotate your phone for the best view, and any horse that you click on, you'll see the running lines. You can easily move from horse to horse. The same data as those traditional classic DRF past performances. You get an interactive format, which is very similar to the DRF classic version that you're used to on the desktop. Every card includes live data updated instantly with those scratches. And so you get the accessibility from desktop to phone, cross-device functionality. You can take your notes and save them from one device to the next and then access your account on any of your devices. On-the-go handicapping and wagering, multiple formats to view. You got the overview page with recent speed figures, current day's odds, easy access to expert selections and analysis. You got the buyer speed figure graph with lifetime buyer speed figures and chart notes for every horse. And you got those traditional DRF pass performances that are just newly optimized for your mobile phones. They are constantly upgrading, improving, and making everything easier for you to get your handicapping done at DRF.com. Download the Stable Duel app and play today. This is honestly one of the bigger weekends I can remember in Stable Duel. There are so many different options for you on Friday, Saturday, Sunday. I mean, Saturday in particular, but Friday, remember we have that uh, Friday morning preview show this weekend in Stable Duel. 10 a.m. Eastern time. We'll go about an hour, hour, 15 minutes or so. We'll give away uh, a bunch of uh, best bets, and we're also going to give away a free $50 uh deposit into your stable duel account for someone who hangs out with us retweets and just lets us know which stable duel contest they're going to be playing this weekend Gulfstream park tampa laurel sam houston on friday four tracks eight contests there's a free ride at Gulfstream. there's games from as low as three dollars to enter all the way up to the bigger games that if you want to play and get in uh, you got a 150 dollar double up and a 250 dollar top three game at Gulfstream park saturday 
It's Dubai World Cup Day, so there's a game centered around that for 150 bucks to enter and 10000 in cash prizes. You've got Sam Houston Texas Preview Day, so there's a $60 game. That's 8000 in cash prizes there. Santa Anita, you've got the Sam Houston card. You've got the Dubai World Cup card. You've got Gulfstream Park, Tampa, and Laurel, all with different games. Six tracks, games that have at least... $2,000 in prize pools, 11 games totaled on a massive Saturday. Sunday, you've got Tampa, Gulfstream, Laurel, Santa Anita, Golden Gate, five tracks, seven contests from three bucks all the way up to 100. Stable duel, get those entries in and play, race, win. And we're going to do some of that right now over at Santa Anita on Friday. Get those past performances out. We're going to take a look at uh, Santa Anita. For Friday, March the 25th In race number 2, I thought the 3 Bear Chum Would be sort of an an intriguing Early exotic single here This horse is going to go 6 furlongs on the dirt You're going to get a little bit of a cutback You get a slight drop This horse had some early trouble last time out And you know, you, you have a bad beginning And then you're just not comfortable You're trying to make up for it throughout I think Bear Chum is in a really nice spot in here The number 3 Bear Chum Going to be an early exotic single for me In race number 2 Let's move to race number four for Santa Anita on Friday. I'm looking at the three. Smile for me. So this race has a ton of speed on paper. The one Starship Chewbacca wants to be forwardly placed, but it draws the rail, and so that may make things really tough. The two big sport is really fast. The four half right is very fast. The five Mr. Lovejoy is really quick. The six Lux Royal Flash is really Lux Royal Flush is really quick. So a bunch of these horses want to go. Smile for me can actually sit and pass. Now in his last start, he didn't have the best of beginnings, and then he got sent through a little from you know you get the inside draw and you have to be more forwardly placed. In two starts back, he was buying a horse named Principe Carlo, who came out of that race and finished second in the Grade Two San Carlos. He was actually dropping out of a, a stakes race too behind Brickyard Ride. So I feel like Smile for me, last time out, a little bit of trouble, can sit, can pass, gets off the rail, two starts back, legit trouble in a tough spot. The number three, Smile for me, 8 to 1 on the morning line. Anything around 5 to 1 will make a win wager there on Smile for me. In the seventh race, we're going to look. To the five horse commander, they're going to be going six and a half furlongs down the hill here. And commander, I think, is a is a horse who's actually just run well down the hill before. Commander last time out was in the Sam Simeon and was in against Tougher and had a bad start, and then that was it. If you'll just kind of dig back into the form, uh, back towards the end of last year, that nice victory uh, by a couple lengths, and commander wants to sit off the pace a little bit in here, looking towards the inside in this small field. Commander won't have a, a big field here, so it could probably be a little bit closer up because there's nobody that's all that fast that's just going to you know, be breakaway speed in here. I mean, Nero's got a little bit of speed, and that's probably the one to catch with the blinkers coming on. But Commander should be able to sit a really nice spot from the outside. The number five, Commander, 7-2. to two. On the morning line, maybe a, a late exotic single for me. Anything around 5-2, to two, we'd make a win wager there. Santa Anita, race number 8. Let's move and take a look to the 7, a thousand dreams. This one comes back off of a... Had, had a really long layoff between November of 2020 and March of 2022. And so she had to have needed her last start. 
and she was off a little slow, and that was that. But it feels like a race that she should get a lot out of, and she wheels back pretty quickly. Normally, I like a little bit more time in between, but I don't think it's a negative when you have this barn who's rolling brings this back, uh, brings this one back, uh, second off the bench. A thousand dreams, the number seven in here at around five to one uh, on the five to one on the morning line. If we can get anything around seven to two, we'll make a win wager there. That is Santa Anita for Friday, March the twenty fifth. Let's take a look at some Sam Houston for Friday. And remember, we'll have Sam Houston Saturday on a totally separate show where we're going to get into all of the Saturday races with a bunch of different guests. That'll be released tomorrow. So for Friday, let's go to race number one. I thought the one storm thread on the drop, kind of searching for where he fits, kind of interesting. Now he shows up for the Maiden 50 claiming level. The six Moogie Sun, I'm kind of thinking he can sit in a pretty nice spot in here. Cottonwood is going to be close up and, you know, one of the, the major contenders in here. And then obviously Big Bernie, who's got some pace, but that's a five time beaten favorite there, Big Bernie. So I like the one, uh, uh, if you're looking for a horse to, to play or some early pick threes here, I stacked them one, six, seven, three. Moving along to race number two at Sam Houston, the four horse. Love my ride. Has some speed, but can sit a little bit. Ran into a horse named Three Time Charmer, who's won three in a row. And two starts back was on the turf. You can put a line right through that race. Three starts back was down inside and ran into a, a sharp next out winner named Tap the Dot. I just sort of think you can dig into these races, and I, I like what I've, I'm seeing race by race from Love My Ride. The others in here, that would be logical. The five, Mr. Hands-On Fits. The six, Ride, Richie Ride. That's the big favorite here that I'm I'm okay with playing against the seven elise elusive dioro first off the claim for broberg i stacked them four five six seven in race number two at sam houston we move along maiden fifty thousand dollar claimers going seven furlongs that's in uh, in race number three the four cupid's love was a step slow on the inside was behind horses was last was about five off and then moved inside behind horses moved in through some traffic was late on the scene for third Gets a little more of a mid-pack post and down on the inside and some more distance to work with here. I'm going to use the four Cupid's Love over the one, the heavy favorite, Miss Wow Wow, and the two, Snappery. I'll use those two in uh, in all exotics along with Cupid's Love. Four, one, two for me in the third as we move to race number four from Sam Houston. And I'm looking at the eight horse in here, Eager Igor Ote on the big cutback, drawn well, ran into a nice one named Moro Wolf in the debut, and then I think six and a half was just a bit too much for him in career start number two, so you get the major cutback to five and a half now, looking at the five Brahms boy as an underneath kind of player, the four rooster run, that's the horse who should get the setup with a a good amount of uh, speed signed on in here, and then Mom's Prayer will be forwardly placed, I went eight, four, six, five. In race number four. Let's move to race number five. $25,000 maiden claimers going a mile and a 16th on the turf course. I like a price horse in here. The three smart battle. A class dropper who I don't think catches a ton of other early speed in here. I think he he should send pretty hard. He was close up inside going into the first turn. He had the tap on the brakes. Then he settled maybe at three lengths off. He was traveling well and he moved into contention, but there just was not a ton of room. He got up to within two lengths and, and he flattened out a little bit. And that was his first start going long. That was just his third start, or that was just his second start on the turf. And I think he has the right to improve off of that. 
Two races back, his grass effort going five was not bad. He ran into a, a horse named Bricktown who finished second and came back to win a maiden special weight next out. So you drop in class with some you know, possible improvement here at a big price. The three, smart battle in all of my exotics. The four, Charlie G. Uh, I had picked in the second spot the one, Silver Nuggets underneath. Should be able to save some ground income running. Those two both come in from fairgrounds. Then you've got the seven Malibu Channel who adds the blinkers and the eight Guardsman Pass who will at least be picking up some pieces. Uh, so I had at l- some of them in, in the at least underneath spots. Three, four, one, eight, seven. And uh, I'll be trying to build a lot around the three. Smart battle. See if we can get this horse into some of the exotics. Let's go to Sammy Houston's sixth, ra- sixth race. 5,000 beaten claimers in here. I like the six Big Power Red, who two starts back on February the 11th was a winner. And last time out, took up early, ran into some traffic inside, was behind horses in a bad spot, and then just packed it in early. Now you drop in class. You key off that February the 11th race. This is a multiple winner over this track. Second time for the barn. They claimed this one for 10. Then they took a shot against much tougher too in that first level allowance race. And they ran into trouble against much tougher. Now you take the big drop back down. Big power red for me. I like this horse quite a bit. I will probably be singling to kick off a late pick four. Playing in some late pick fives. Six with eight, five, nine. Others that I will be using un, uh, underneath and in some forms of exotics. The eight Dance Kingdom, just on the connections alone, this horse was your beaten favorite in a similar spot. So I feel like they'll they'll take some money and probably one that uh, uh if they do float up could offer you some value. Eltich is pretty honest and at least an underneath type. So uh, we'll we'll include a uh, five eight nine in some under spots there in the sixth. Let's move to race number seven. 15,000 claimers going five furlongs on the turf course here. I thought the three Saturdays gold, just from a price standpoint, really fits with a lot of these. And so if if he is a bigger price by, uh, by much than horses like Tough Charlie, I think he might be the horse to bet because he's got some speed. He can sit off a little bit if he has to. He's really, really honest. He'll go second off the short little break. So maybe he's, he's going to be a little bit tighter. The number three Saturdays gold. The 10 horse will be including in uh, in all exotics tin badge to the outside. The number five, Tough Charlie, is really honest at this level. He's won back-to-back, and he's probably the horse they'll all have to beat. Then you got the nine, Channel One, who does come off of a win over at Fairgrounds, and if they transfer the form here, they'll be really tough. The two, Sierra Hotel, also one that will be on some exotics. So three, ten, five, nine, two for me. In what looks like a pretty contentious 7th Let's move to the 8th race For Friday night at Sam Houston The rail draw for Daryl's Little Diablo can make things tough If he can work out the trip He's the horse to beat, no doubt about it Now the 6 horse Mr. Be Quiet Got squeezed back out of the gate And was just 10-11 lengths off of it And did close pretty well uh, I thought behind a horse named Moro Wolf Who's in nice form is 2 for 2 and on February the 11th, they tried the turf that day. You can put a line right through that. If we project a little improvement for Mr. B Quiet, I think they could be right there. I stacked them 6-1 with the 8 underneath. The 8 Ghost Art, who ran into uh, Stan's Miracle Man in, in back-to-back starts. And Ghost Art actually comes out of some uh, open races now in with Texas Breds. The 4 and the 5 Warriors Haven and the 5 on my list 
would both be at least underneath horses for me. Blinks on and looked like he needed the uh, the race. The five on my list, Warriors Haven, was a monster winner against 10 non-twos last out. Let's close things out for Friday night at Sam Houston with the ninth race. I'm looking at the two in here. Madame Rue, who just stood in the gate at the start, was last early and then actually moved into contention on the inside, got within two lengths, but ran into a wall of horses and tried to angle around, but the momentum was stalled and then was flat at that point. I think it was a sneaky good effort from Madame Rue. Third start off the bench. I love Valdez Jimenez aboard, especially with a price play like this. Give me the two. Madame Rue will be using along with the six horse. Optimistic Cowgirl, who feels like the one to beat. Going to uh, stretch out and try turf for the first time, but a runner-up in the debut against Maiden Specials. You've got the seven Cold Night Air, who has some good races on the turf. You know you'll get some speed from this charge. And the one, Reunion Bling. Two, six, seven, one on Friday night to close things out at Sam Houston. It's a big weekend, and we will have a full show dedicated to Saturday coming up uh, in just the next day. So stay tuned for that one, for everything Sam Houston for Saturday. Now we move to Saturday, but I'm going to talk some Santa Anita best bets, and then we'll speak with Emily Gullickson and talk some fairgrounds. First up, Santa Anita Saturday. So we're taking a look at March the 26th. I'm going to talk races 1, 5, and uh, and 7 here for Saturday. So in the first race, the two Istanbul is a little interesting to me. Uh, second start off the the layoff. And this one for this horse, look at all the layoff lines that he's had, right? He's a six-year-old with just six career starts. So he's obviously had tons of physical issues. And go through who he's lost to. Roadster, game winner, Bob and Jackie in Omaha Beach, Harvard Memories, Lincoln Hawk, the Haywood Beach Eastern Ocean race came back really live. And now he's finally going to be able to put a couple starts together. I think he should be a lot fitter, He's got some speed, and he's drawn down towards the inside, so he should be forwardly placed in here. The number six, Istanbul, I'll include in some early exotics, and I'll make a win wager if we can get anything around 10 to 1 there on the deuce. Let's move to race number five. First level allowance for Calbreds, optional 20 claiming, and they're going to go a mile and an eighth on the turf course. I love the three worst Reed Sanchez. On March the 5th, he took a shot in the San Felipe. They just wanted to kind of see where he stacked up with some of the other three-year-olds. Forbidden Kingdom just ran them off their feet that day. Worst Reed Sanchez back on in February, going a mile and an eighth on the turf at this level in a similar spot. Was fifth, about five or six off, was behind some slow fractions. The winner that day was a two-to-five shot who ended up sitting second just off. Worst Reed Sanchez made a big move into contention, just missed that day. Gets back to the turf, gets back to that same level and trip. Worst Reed Sanchez, the number three, he's eight-to-one on the morning line. If we get anything around four, we'll make a win wager there. As we move to the seventh, it's the grade three, Santa Ana. Mile and a quarter on the turf course there, the Santa Ana and... I'm looking towards the six-horse Queen Goddess, who I know that the distance shouldn't be a problem for Queen Goddess because she won going a mile and a quarter on the dirt in a race that was taken off the turf. She's a very nice animal on the turf course, and I think it's a good spot for Queen Goddess to sit close up. She's six to one on the morning line. Anything over seven to two will make a win wager there on Queen Goddess. That's Saturday over at Santa Anita, and we're going to move and talk some 
Saturday Fairgrounds with Emily Gullickson in just a moment. But before we do, I want to remind you about one of the longtime sponsors of That's What G Said podcast, full-service realtor Cindy Carava. Cindy Carava can help you out with buying, with selling, with leasing. She can help connect you to vendors that will help you with home improvement like gardeners, landscapers, and folks that she's worked with in her own home. She can connect you with lenders that will help get you pre-approved for a loan and can help put you in touch with all the right people to make your life easy when you're in the process of of moving, of relocating. Cindy Carava, check out the website, C-I-N-D-Y-C-A-R-A-V-A.com. CindyCarava.com. Now we head to talk some fairgrounds, the final four stakes races for Saturday with Emily Gullickson. Oh, and just a heads up, uh, Emily and I recorded this early Thursday morning right before the news came out that some of the Bob Baffert runners were going to start to be transferred out of his uh, out of his stable. So you, you'll hear us talk about how we didn't know what was going to happen with the Baffert horses. And probably about an hour after we finished the conversation, that we started to hear that some of them are going to be transferred around. So if you're wondering why we were, we were saying that, it was because it was right before the news came out. So enjoy the conversation with Emily. Gosh, the time really flies. Each and every year, it feels like the uh, the Kentucky Derby just creeps up on us. We are in the last round of the Kentucky Derby preps now. We head out to fairgrounds this weekend for the Louisiana Derby, so we had to enlist the services of one of our very good friends, Emily Gullickson from Optics EQ, to help us out with some big stakes races at fairgrounds this weekend. Emily, how you doing today? I'm doing well, yes, and I, I feel like I am the Louisiana local, fairgrounds yep. local when it comes to these big days, Yeah, at exactly. least on this think, show. Yeah, we've gone to you, I think it's been like two years now, where we've, we've gone back to you every time, we've gone back to the well every time we need some help with fairgrounds, so we get to see a lot of these familiar faces popping up. So uh, we're going to talk about races 10 through 13, or races, uh, what, the last four, right, the, la- the late pick four today, 9, 10, 11, 12, uh, yeah. Last four, which are all four graded stakes races, starting with the New Orleans. But Emily, before we get into the specifics, tell us about some of the uh, the work that you've got going on right now. You're doing some stuff with Patreon, and so now you're kind of just kind of picking and choosing a little bit more, like the stuff you want to put out, or what what's sort of the schedule of uh, stuff you're handicapping for us? Yeah, um, it is it is a little bit more selective. Um, pretty much the standard stuff as far as as far as optics. Um, I'll finish up notes here at Fairgrounds, and then everything kind of shifts with Woodbine opening up in the middle of next month, as well as Indiana Grand. Indiana Grand's a circuit I followed for the last two years, doing selections over at Brisnet and videos. This will be my second year doing videos at Twin Spires. I actually shouldn't jump the gun. That's that's most likely going to happen. Uh, maybe I've just kind of willed it into fate at this point. There you um, go. Right. <laughs> and kind of same thing with Woodbine. I'm kind of waiting to hear, but um, I'll end up doing something there and, and covering notes for all those tracks as well. We look forward to uh, picking your brain on those as uh, they start to open up in the next few months. So, Emily, yeah, it feels it feels weird. Like, oh, all these horses. And I think because the the big elephant in the room, right, because nobody knew for the last few months exactly what was going to happen with a lot of the Baffert runners who are horses that are picking up points along or we who are winning points races along the way, not necessarily picking up points. It sort of made this group of three-year-olds in this derby i mean feel a little bit more wide open because as of right now when we're recording this march the 24th we still for sure don't really know that the horses 
from the Bafferts, uh, the Baffert runners won't be in, but we kind of feel like they won't. So it's made, I think it's been a little bit more wide open. Like nobody really knows who to sink their teeth into. I love that. It's like, for it's for sure that we don't know. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> exactly. Right. Exactly yeah. It. For sure. We don't know. Um, yeah. But yeah. I mean, just as far as the race and what we do know, if those horses are not participating does look extremely wide open, very competitive. And honestly, we, we love to see it as horse players, betters, all that good stuff. So, um, yeah, it'll be interesting, you know, getting through this weekend and the next, uh, the next weeks that follow with those big preps, kind of the final preps and, and really starting to see how things shake out in the last 30 days leading up to the Derby. Yeah. I think we've got uh, Louisiana Derby this weekend and then next weekend, I think we've got what Arkansas, Florida Derby, and even the Turfway uh, prep race. And then the following weekend, it'll be Santa Anita that picks up and then Keeneland will be jumping in right after that. So yeah, it's going to be a uh, full seam ahead with uh, with these big prep races, and we will talk about the big one this weekend at Fairgrounds. Uh, but first, we got a couple other good stakes races to jump into before. And so, if you want to follow along with uh, with me and Emily, we're looking at March the twenty sixth, Fairgrounds race number nine, the Grade Two New Orleans Classic. And Emily, we talked about a couple of these runners last time out in the Olympiad race that he won on. February the 19th in the mine shaft and he tracked second really nicely just got a perfect trip he was right off of silver prospector um miles d was just sitting fourth and there just really wasn't a lot of passing in that race he's probably the horse you have to start with uh, from a conversation standpoint because he's been really sharp and he just kind of works out those really good trips for himself yeah, I mean, you do have to look at it from as far as a handicapping standpoint and then a, a playing standpoint with these stakes races, you know, assessing these favors, deciding if it is a sequence that, that is playable. But for this race here, um, Olympia does expect to be the favorite in this race um, with those recent speed figures, the recent win in the mine shaft, you know, that really caught people's attention. And then for um, a lot of people, you know, looking at this race, he could just have a pace advantage in here. I am a little bit concerned as far as the pace advantage and just that day overall, I felt like um, February 19th, the results were just kind of very um, strange, just kind of like collective in that day. Just I think I saw you playing. post afterwards, like, do we just put a line through the day? Right. Yeah. For like a lot of the results. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Because, you know, I think like the numbers were high and the way that some of the horses uh, won, it's like on um, if, you know, those kind of horses and races, if that happened on like a Wednesday, you know, maybe there's just a little bit different, a little bit of a shift. Um, so kind of getting through Olympiad here, he did have that perfect trip. If people are looking at him like he is a horse that would have a pace advantage, he's going to go to the front. It's not necessarily his most ideal trip to be out in front. He did win that way that way at Keeneland, but that was a completely different scenario. Um, and I think he's going to get more pace pressure in here. I, I do think, you know, I can definitely see a, a result where he wins this race, but I don't think he's as much of a standout, you know, we shall see, but, um, you know, as, as, if I'm, if I'm playing the sequence, this might be a spot, you know, just kind of looking at some of the other favorites that maybe feel a little bit more solid mm -hmm. that I might try to get creative in here. Um, at least it being, you know, kind of the first leg, knowing that Olympiad's going to be on, you know, 99% plus of the tickets. Yeah. And some of the horses that uh, we would think about maybe playing against him, maybe a horse like the one from the, the rail promise keeper who had some legit trouble last time out. And you'd imagine this horse wants to be a lot closer early on than he was in that race on February the 12th at Oaklawn. He 
sort of got crossed over on at the start So he had to settle towards the rear in about 7th or 8th Like 10 lengths off And he did get going late in that race And those are some pretty honest horses there And Plainsman and Thomas Shelby Who's really tough and a, a nice speedy horse there So I'm, would he be one of the horses you'd be looking to And maybe expecting them to show more speed down on the inside? Oh yeah, absolutely. I, I thought he had a big look going into the in the Razorback, just coming off the layoff, shipping into that race. I mean, the Razorback's a six hundred thousand dollar race, you know. So I think they were really trying to go and and get the prize that day. He broke slow. He was against the flow. He closed ground, as you mentioned. It's not his running style. This is a horse that can run on the lead. He was very game in the Ohio Derby up front. You know, the fourth place finish is a blanket finish. So. You know, keep that in mind or go back and watch the race even better. So I think they are going to be more forwardly placed, um, you know, from the rail off that trip, the race under his belt. Um, You know, they're coming into this race, you know, looking for a spot with a horse that ran well. So, yeah, I I give him a a big look in here. Yeah, he feels sort of like uh, the, the horse that's, you know, we talk about horses like this. When you look at the race, the fit, sort of the trip. The second off the bench could step forward You know, there's just a lot of positives about him He checks a lot of boxes for me as a, as a horse Who I'd look to play in a spot like this um, He also comes out of that race with super stock I just, I saw a lot more excuses for Promise Keeper in wanting to play him moving forward Where super stock, he just I don't know if he, he feels like maybe he's not Quite as good to me as some of these runners And more of an underneath, but I guess it's a positive When you have someone like Joel jumping aboard And maybe they'll try to get him a little more forwardly placed too yeah, I, I I can't really get to super stock in here. No. A bit of a a bit of a surprise. I mean, he's yeah. just been kind of rather calm and really hasn't moved forward. Just as races when he's at this graded stakes level, just comes up short. Um, you know, the Arkansas Derby maybe that's a, a little bit of a one off. Just kind of from that year, the way the race shape yeah. kind of played out with that ideal pocket trip. So he just looks a little bit below of some of these other horses. Um, in this field. Yep. The one that I think will probably get on a lot of people's attention too would be Proxy. Proxy, who didn't race from um, April of last year, he was in uh, a couple of these Kentucky uh, Kentucky Derby preps right here at Louisiana. He was in the Louisiana Derby last year. He did not run badly when finishing fourth. And you sort of look at how that race came back with Hot Rod Charlie and Mandaloon being very nice older horses through a, a lot of the year. Uh, you know, as they moved up and faced older horses and and have so far this year, they've been pretty good. Um, Proxy, second off the bench Lots of things to like I guess the question is, you know, is he going to get the race shape? Um, do you think he fits with this group? Yeah, I mean, that is that is the big test for him um, And it, with him as the second choice I mean, it just kind of, you know, creates value on Promise Keeper As one that's a little bit more established at this point um, If it does kind of play the way the morning line suggests But as far as Proxy, going back to last year As a you know, even in a juvenile up through that early part of his uh, sophomore campaign here at the fairgrounds, he was just a horse that e- even in those wins, he was drifting out. He drifted out and looked calm, um, got a pocket trip in the Risen Star, was a little bit more professional effort. And then things just kind of, you know, maybe maybe the class got to him, just not quite. You know, they put the blinkers on. Hey, who's to know what what kind of happened? Needed the time off. They regrouped. It was a solid speed figure earned in that allowance race. but kind of close to his top that he had run in the past. And the fact that he's going to come back in 29 days, step up in class, off somewhat of a new top, um, and an overall kind of favorable – actually, I take that back. It wasn't a favorable drip. He did have to do a lot of running to come from off the pace, kind of a little bit against the the race dynamic. So uh, a potentially taxing effort that he's got to have to come back in 29 days and step up in class. It it was – you know, it was kind of interesting too because he – like. 
early stretch, he didn't look like he was going to get there. He sort of looked like he was kind of floundering a little bit, and then he kind of just boom, like kicked into it late. And I don't, yeah, I, I agree with you. It was, it was sort of a weirdish um, trip for Proxy, and I, I'm, I think I'm a little higher on Promise Keeper also than than Proxy. Kind of feeling like this is one that a lot of people will gravitate towards. Uh, in this small field, the other two that we didn't mention probably want to come from a little bit farther back with Happy American and Chess Chief. Do you uh, make a case or build uh, possibilities for either of them? No, no, and yeah. it's and it's a tough race, uh, just as far as they're being valued to do exotic, so they yeah. just look kind of below. I agree. I agree. Let's move along to race number ten. We've got the uh, the Munias. Now, I know Emily, you've been watching some uh, college basketball. It's been the uh, NCAA tournament recently. We've got the Peacocks here. I can, you know, as someone who grew up in Temple City. Um, I have a lot of friends that live right next to the Arboretum in Arcadia. So <laughs> I know the, that I can tell you if there's one noise that I know that ah, I, I know that peacock call more than anything. So shout out to St. Peter's and uh, we got peacock kitten here. So I just I had to mention that right off the bat because I know yeah, you've been watching. I, some I mean, I'll, ben, I'll mention since we're, since we're talking about him. I mean, he looked like he was kind of stiffed in that February 12th race. So it looked like a horse that would have some upside off that. Now they were entered to run on March 11th but did scratch with those races coming off the turf. And that was a starter allowance spot on. Um, and the reason I mentioned that he was stiff is just maybe the fact he's going to show speed today. And that would really kind of be sort of his best chance, but overall his best chance is going to be at a softer level because he's just not quite here. But the fact that if he is from the rail and showing early speed, that will impact kind of the race shape and some of those front running types. So I guess we can kind of start with the Chad Brown runners in here. Uh, he's got a couple right next to each other in Sacred Life and Dev Amani, and is the case with most Chad Brown horses in a graded stakes on the turf like this. Like they're going to take a lot of support. There'll be two of the of the shorter prices in here. Sacred Life comes out of the Pegasus World Cup where he was behind Colonel Liam. There's some bumping going on early on. He kind of got you know t- take up a little bit going into the first turn. He was last. He started to move. But he kind of ran up onto heels. It wasn't like a smooth trip. He angled out widest of all. I um, mean, you know, he'll, he'll probably come closing in here. And Devamani maybe wants to sit a little closer early on. He, but he ended up settling too far back last time out. And, you know, he saved ground, tipped out. He closed late. Now second off the bench. So I guess we can talk about the both of them together with the Chad Brown runners. Do you like one or the other? Do you prefer, do you think they're both standouts? Just kind of where do you sit with those two? No, I, I honestly, I think they're both very logical in this spot. Yeah. Um, Sacred Life, probably the, the the classier of the two. He's just been kind of running in those those grade one, grade two spots. So that just kind of shows what they what they think of this horse. Um, and uh, and that certainly makes sense. And he fits. Um, you know, getting class relief. He's proven around nine furlongs, like. All that stuff, you know, one that if you are playing the sequence in any possible way, you know, you're you're gonna want to use. Um, as far as Devamani, probably not as classy as Sacred Life, but there could be a lot of positive intent in here. And with Rosario getting aboard, because he seems to be the key with this horse. So it just again, I mean, another horse that I I would be using, um, you know, in this race, I. I can't really split them from from that perspective, and I yeah. I don't really love either. Yeah, uh, I agree. To I be agree. honest, no, I agree. They're both going to be like neither would shock. They're both going to be tough. They'll probably be launching a late bid, but it, as far as the sequence is concerned, I think what you were kind of hitting on, this might be a race where we can try to 
find a like pick at some prices that may be able to get trips that could could you know uh, spark us a little value here. So those yeah, are the t- but on that same note, I mean they're not horses that I'm that I'm strongly taking a stand no, against. No, completely agree. I wouldn't yeah. be chucking these favorites and and trying to completely beat them. So um, yeah, if you're using exotics, they're gonna they're probably gonna be in my uh, in my exotic mix, no doubt. From the pace standpoint, so what do you guys have things looking like early on? Maybe we've got like Calvary Charge who got that sort of nice, comfortable held position inside of two Emmys last time out. So two Emmys is back here again. You've got forty under, kind of thinking combinations of them up towards the front end. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Cavalry Charge, the number four, number five, 40 under, and number eight, two Emmys are all in that quadrant one, and they're above the par line, which shows they're horses that want to be forwardly placed and likely to set a fast pace. And as I mentioned, if they do send Peacock Kitten, which if they do run here, it kind of seems like they should. Uh, and that could even kind of add to it a little bit. Um, as far as surface distance, all three of those horses are circles. So circles versus square circles lack the finishing ability of the squares. And again, it's all in relation to the horses that are on the plot. So not having much finishing ability in a race that has that higher contention and a higher speed rate seems to play against uh cavalry charge 40 under and two Emmys in the spot. Yeah, I agree. I, d- I didn't really like the, the shape for either one of them uh, here. They can us kind of be. Pushing each other a little bit, kind of playing a nuisance to one another. Okay, well, what about your old friend, Captivating Moon, who uh, you know is now going to go second start off the bench? So he got the race under his belt last time out, and you know what? Had a little bit of traffic. Uh, was sort of sort of searching for room, kind of altering course to the outside. Do you think he can take a step forward here? Um. Yeah. I mean, if you know, he could certainly win this race. Um. There's others I prefer in here, but I. I Without a doubt, he could win this race. So if you are spreading and you're trying to get creative, now I don't think he's going to be the price that he was um, when he won a stakes race last year, just because of the the size of this field, probably not going to be 43 to one, but should still be a big price. Um, A horse that has some form, certainly on his best day, could could run a race that competes here. And then uh, kind of the final two in this race to discuss, uh, we've got, Another mystery who comes in from uh, Sammy Houston Got a, a dead heat win over there on their big day Back uh, at the end of January And then you have Santin towards the outside Who's lightly raced Santin got bet a little bit uh, last time out And kind of dropped back Was three deep Angle towards the outside And it wasn't look like didn't look like he was going to win that race But he was trying kind of in between And he wasn't beating a whole heck of a lot And that was the first start against Older So you can make a, a good case for him to step forward I guess let's uh, let's talk a little bit about those two Sure, um, well I'll just kind of follow, follow up with Stanton Yeah, he comes out of that, that Fairgrounds grade 3 race um, That was one on the front end He was wide, he was in you know part of that blanket finish at the wire I thought that was a good race I thought it was a tough spot for him to come back in Despite being a talented horse um, So certainly has a move forward Looks excellent on the plot He's in quadrant 2, so should have first run on the Chad Brown pair um, and first run on those pace setters. Now, another mystery um, I'm going to give a big look to in here as a horse that's probably going to get overlooked and, and a horse that maybe, you know, I shouldn't say maybe, but not necessarily the most likely winner. And I think people will kind of dismiss, even though he is coming off a win, that being, you know, 12 furlongs and a dead heat of three horse blanket finish at the wire and some of the other races here that aren't overly exciting when it comes to the fairgrounds, but he does have some decent stakes efforts and he's just a horse that maybe hasn't quite, 
been in the right place in time, just in terms of his form cycle, he's had to deal with layoffs. Um, and another horse, as far as like captivating Moon, you know, a horse that that can win on his best day. Those these two being stable mates, there's still probably a little bit more upside with another mystery. Mm-hmm. So um, just a horse to kind of keep on the radar and should be should be a price in here, even though he is coming off a win. Yeah, I, I kind of like him a little bit too. You know, if you put a line through. The two-back race on December the 26th when he had some legitimate start uh, trouble at the start and then just kind of had a wider trip. You're left with back-to-back wins. The uh, the effort in the Sycamore going a mile and a half at Keeneland behind Spooky, Spooky Channel and two Emmys that might have been like, a tad longer than what, what he wants maybe. So maybe more in the mile and a quarter-ish to right around this, like mile and an eighth-ish range, I think, where we've seen some of his better efforts. I agree. He's going to be on all my exotic tickets in here and probably with Santin too because this feels like a race where maybe you can get a, you can try to get one of those two home. Uh, the Browns both make sense. Captivating Moon. I probably will have combinations of them. This sort of felt like one of the the spread legs. If you are playing the pick four. Yeah, yeah. It's just a, a horse. I really have a hard time being like this one. You know, stands out, or this one's you know the yeah. best price of that group. Feels yeah. a little bit more contentious. I think. I agree. I agree. Yeah. Let's move along to the eleventh race, which is the Fairgrounds Oaks, the TwinSpires.com. Fairgrounds Oaks Mile in the sixteenth Grade Two event, four hundred thousand dollars up for grabs, and we get the two-year-old champ, Philly Echo Zulu, going to be making her first start as a three-year-old. And Emily, she's been awesome uh, in her four starts. She's never really even been tested. She's really quick too, so that's what makes her tough to run down. She's not one that even has to really worry all that much about race shape. And in this particular field, is there anyone that can stay with her early on? Uh, no, I mean, it, it, if it's not her, it's anybody. I yeah, mean, she just absolutely. really stands stands out over this group in every possible way. I mean, the you know, the one unknown is the layoff, but they've obviously picked this spot to come back in. Um, this is the reason Rosario is here, you know, this, you know, all that stuff. So if it, if it isn't her, I mean, again, everybody in this race looks exactly the same. She, she stands out over the others. I, I really agree. And this is, I think for anyone that's heard our conversations before, we are always trying to find ways to beat these favorites. I just, this would have to be one of those. Oh, yep. Well, she just didn't come back the same way at three that she was at two. I mean, right. that would... and, or looking at some of these horses that have been running and being like, you know, they're stepping forward, they're coming in the race, you know, the right time. And, you know, you, you a lot of these horses, I mean, Turner Loose, she she got the perfect trip, looks more on the turfy side, could get attention here because she does have that local win, but would have to get a lot faster to run with the, the numbers of Echo Zulu. Um, Hidden Connection kind of coming out of that same race, didn't quite show enough, maybe make the case she needed the race, but I think she was a little bit flattered, so she still has to prove it. Um, to me, it was a taxing effort for Berger Breezy. I think she's a good horse, but this is just kind of a tough spot in terms of timing. Sequest, you can kind of say the same thing. Maybe she needed the race, but just kind of overall visuals. Even if she was short, she just had to show more, especially if she's going to step up today. And then Favor, um, you know, it's she's one that at least you can make the case for. She's improving with each start. I just think the spot is is very curious. I mean, she's based at Gulfstream Park. She has two wins at Gulfstream Park. Why not stay there and prep? Why would you leave? You know, yeah. And and the the Goldstream Park Oaks is um, April second, and uh, you know I, I looked at like the nominations, like who's in there, who are they trying to avoid? You know, Kathleen O's in there, or maybe they have a stable mate, you know, that's that's running, and they're trying to split them, and it just seems weird that they're going to come here when 
you know, horses at Goldstream Park, when they run well there, you know, you usually want to kind of, so the fact that they're, they're experimenting, she's got to go around two turns the first time, you know, things like that, that just kind of question, but at least she's the one that you can see that progress. Um, uh, I can't remember right now off the top of my head, but I'm not sure that last race came back very strong either. Nah, she, like you said, at least, what, what I like is that, you know, on January the 9th, she was all over the place late, you know, she was yeah. green and drifting and she, she, Seemed like she figured that out a little bit in her last start, but it wasn't like she took a big step forward, sort of like numbers and figures wise. Her wins have been impressive. Honestly, I guess like of the rest, if it wasn't Echo Zulu, she would probably be the most interesting to me just from like an upside. Maybe like just even the whole like, why is she here? Gulfstream? Like maybe there's something to that more than than you were kind of you were kind of sort of hitting on my concerns with everyone else, even a horse like Hidden Connection, who Absolutely could need could have needed the race And you know she could take a step forward She kind of got the benefit Of the doubt when the horse in front of her Got like pulled up And right. she just sort of inherits the lead like, Yeah kind of- and I mean I just you know I go back to her races last year um, Where she was winning And I just thought those were really flattered And she hasn't improved She didn't improve in the British Cup Junior Phillies And then you know she ran another She paired up 84 optics figures in both those And that's below race par today even if she comes back with a 93, um, Echo Zulu ran a 92 in her debut and then has run 99, 94, 100. So it's like, you know, yeah, if, I really don't even want to get in the conversation of like, if I'm trying to pick like a second horse, because I, I really am just like, there's a blanket overall. If it, if it's not Echo Zulu, then it's, it, you know, so, something goes, I don't even want to go there, but yeah, but if, something, yeah. <laughs> you know, if, if it's not her, it's anybody. I'll leave yep. it at that. That's in the Oaks. We'll see if Echo Zulu is going to come back as strong at three as she was at two. Fantastic filly. And they'll all have to catch her from the inside. We move to the twinspires.com Louisiana Derby. Great two million dollars up for grabs. Kentucky Derby points on the line. And the horse in here who uh, will take a lot of the support is the one who was your winner of the Risen Star and who's done very little wrong in his you know, five race career in his four races going long. He has three wins, uh, a couple of them stakes wins, and one of them a runner up effort to call me midnight when he just got beat. So epicenter for uh, Rosario, he's going to be pretty live in the uh, in the Oaks and in the Derby with these two. The horse they'll all have to catch and run down. Yeah, I mean, if, if anything, Epicenter just, he really hasn't taken that step forward. He kind of just runs yeah. the same race every time. And he has that tactical speed, that early speed, which has carried him in those races, you know, except, as you mentioned, Lecomte, which was a very fast pace, very fast, contentious pace, and still, you know, ran as well as the winner, you know, who got the race flow. Um, so, yeah, I mean, just overall, he could get that same trip today where he's able to clear, and that's enough. But going into the Derby, that is just something, the Kentucky Derby, that is, if, you know, everything goes as planned, um, that's something to consider that he has had those trips. Um, Distance-wise, I'm not totally sold. The more ground is going to be the better. Um, could get it here just, you know, based on on the race shape if the other horses don't go with him, which is what, you know, or they don't push that hard, which mm-hmm. is kind of the scenario in the Risen Star. Um, yeah, it'll be interesting on kind of some of how, how these horses are ridden. I mean, Pioneer Medina, um, if he's going to press, kind of didn't really fully commit last time. Yeah. Um, you know, th- those type of scenarios, which could certainly help uh, Epicenter in this race. So I think the horse that a lot of people have been sort of talking about and are intrigued by is Zozos, who 
was a 10-length winner at Oaklawn Park on February the 11th. He broke his maiden here going six furlongs at fairgrounds on January the 23rd and sort of broke in his Oaklawn race, kind of broke inward, but moved up nicely to stock. He was just off. He just moved to the lead and crushed. It was a monster effort. It was a, a very nice trip. The debut race has come back live so far. The second and third place finishers have both come back to win. So he's beaten a little quality also, and he took a nice step forward. And we do know that Giroux is one who likes to get a little bit aggressive. They have the inside draw. Could you see them being a horse to a, a, try to put a little pressure or maybe even take the lead from Epicenter? Yeah, I mean, it'll, it'll be interesting what uh, Pioneer Medina does. And if Zozo is being on the inside, does have a little bit of tactical speed. Uh, and if they do kind of use and have to run with at the center, that will probably cut into his finishing ability late because he was able to get away with a pretty soft pace before he he closed and drew off late at Oakland Park. Um, you know, people that <laughs> think they're going to get eight to one probably have another thing come in on race day. No, no, no. I yeah. agree. <laughs> I think he's he's the wise guy in here. I think he'll be second choice because he just seems like that horse that that really hasn't been exposed at this point. It's been getting faster. I mean, you mentioned the, the key race on uh, in his debut and then um, the allowance race has come back pretty solid as well. A couple horses improving speed figures and a next out winner. So, um, you know, he's had, he does have that form line going for him. It's just, it's a class test at this point. Right. And then as far as trip, um, you know, if they end up kind of chasing epicenter, maybe that's enough for second. If they try to get up into a duel, it'd be interesting to see how that shakes out when it's all said and done. Um, kind of horse to me. I mean, I can't, I can't really knock what he's done so far, but at this level and at this point, point when you know really kind of rushing in the derby and i know that's that's the goal they were wanting to get points here even if it's not a win um but it's just gonna have to make up a lot of ground giving up a lot of experience he's he's got to really be the good so um yeah this is this is a tough spot probably not not a horse i i would be playing because i think he's gonna be i think he's gonna be short undervalued no matter he could he could win and absolutely be you know a nice horse but he's gonna be shorter than where he should be at this time in this race for me yeah. um um Right next door, got to give a shout out to our buddy uh, Scott Shapiro. He pinged uh, Call Me Midnight at around 30 to 1 to win the Lecompte. And Call Me Midnight was able to get by Epicenter that day. And and so he took off the Risen Star to come for this race, run here, and then hopefully peak in the Kentucky Derby. What do you think about Call Me Midnight, who's more of a, a closer? Yeah, he is more of a closer, and he got the he got the right trip. He got the race flow um, in the Lacan, but it's a completely different scenario today. Um, coming from well off the pace, probably not going to get that fast, contentious pace that he had. I mean, going back to that day, it was a you know a, a fire contention and a higher speed rating. Today's race is a snowflake. There's a lower speed rate, so it's a completely different dynamic. Um, so just a horse. I mean, he would really have to improve. Almost show kind of a different running style in order yeah. to win here. Um, I can't, I can't get to him today. No, I, I couldn't either. And um, a shorter price than last time. Absolutely right. If you uh, if you didn't get there for the wedding, you can't come back for the funeral. You know, can't do that. Um, Curly Tail uh, right next door in Kapuna. So Curly Tail for Stewart. I mean, we see Dallas Stewart have a lot of these sort of later developing horses that continue to improve. Um, he did run into a couple nice horses so far before breaking his maiden. Smile Happy is going to be one of the top Kentucky Derby contenders. We have uh, 
at the Ethereal Road who came back and was second and in the Rebel and uh, behind Unoho, and now you'll get Curly Tail going third start of the form cycle. Do you think either this horse or I guess we could talk about this one and the one right next to him, Kapuna, uh, both of these two? Sure. I mean, as far as as far as Curly Tail, you could look at him as a horse that that is improving as a three-year-old because his speed figures have improved. So maybe just kind of putting it all together. Uh, and he'll have the same the same pace issues as far as Call Me Midnight. It's a horse that really doesn't have a lot of early speed, often breaks slow. Um, so just in terms of trip and class, could just be uh, a, a tough spot for him on the day. But I'm not going to fault anybody that wants to make the case that you are getting an improving three-year-old coming into this part of the season, which he certainly is. Um, and then as far as Kapuna, um, I, you know, last time out, I thought the trip was like pretty favorable. Mm-hmm. And even though he had second and uh, that was what, Cyberknife, that yeah. won that race. Um, you know, a good winner ran a, a fast speed figure. Just thought visually um, Kapuna just didn't quite didn't quite show enough. And that was an optional claiming race, um, even though he caught a, a good horse. This is just a tougher spot overall. So um, I have class concerns with him. Yeah, and if you're talking about Cyberknife and just playing that game, of course, it doesn't always work that way, right? But Cyberknife was well beaten in the Lecomte. If we're just talking about class standpoint, we can always have excuses and stuff. But yeah, I thought Kapuna was maybe uh, a little below for me also. Uh, we talked Epicenter. We talked Pioneer of Medina. Let's talk about the two to the outside. Uh, Galt flashed a little speed in between in the Holy Bull. And then they had the incident in the Fountain of Youth where uh, they lost the rider. And, you know, you can just pull a line right through that. Could you get to this horse playing him off the Holy Bull race? Um, I yeah, I can I can get to him. I made uh, I did the video for Optics this week. We went we went to this race and um, I made a case for him just really based kind of on on value and price. Um, there being some upside and with today's distance because we have a couple notes um, in Optics as far as this horse stretch, which means he can handle added ground out of those eight and a half furlong races. And that's something we haven't even really talked about in here so far is, you know, the added distance of this race and what kind of dynamic that plays. So for a horse that, you know, we project is going to handle the added ground, a horse that's form um, is, it has to improve, but there could be something there at this point. I mean, he broke his maiden coming I'll go back even further. I mean, back at Saratoga, um, you know, Mott winning first out, it can happen. But typically, with a lot of the horses, they can take a few starts. Um, and he was given the stretch keyword that day. He came back on the turf. Maybe something went wrong. And, and in that race, off. too, he ran into classic Causeway, Trafalgar. Like, that was a good yeah. race for that, yeah. that point of the year. Absolutely. So he comes off the layoff at Gulfstream Park going two turns, um, a very strong effort on the day. And that was the day he said he could probably handle more ground. Um, it, it's a lot. You know, you're coming off maybe a, a peak effort, a big race. You go right into a graded stakes race. He's down inside. He pushed the pace. That's a completely new dimension for him at that point. He had never been on the lead. So you can maybe make a case from that perspective. I mean, Fountain of Youth, you draw a line through that. It's just interesting as far as a couple things one in the fountain of youth he was on the also eligible list he was able to get in with a couple defections um but it, you know they're they're on the outside post and, and with some other options they could have at least been like look forget it let's just go a different day outside post Gulfstream park where you know we're up against it um but they ran and then you know or whatever it's worth, you know, <laughs> that race was just such a yeah. mess. And then the fact that they come back in this particular spot in three weeks, again, it's like they didn't have to do it unless they felt this mm-hmm. horse is really, was ready to rock. You know, he's ready to run. He's worth putting, you know, 
putting on the bus or whatever to come out here. So, you know, it's, it's a lot of projections across the board. And so it's something, you know, at least for me, going to need some price compensation. But with a lot of these horses that I either think, um, even if they're long shots, they'll still be underlays. And even with these horses that are logical are definitely going to be underlays. Galt could just be that, like, you know, that Goldilocks perfect mm-hmm. <laughs> horse. Just fits. Like, horse. feels like the horse that you, yeah. like, win or lose, the one, the right horse to play. Yeah, yeah. he's going to just be the right price that, that you're willing to, to make a gamble in a race like this. Like, enough speed to give himself a, a nice stalking spot if he wants to sit right behind. You know, he can put a little pressure on. He can maybe keep himself out of some trouble. I agree. I looked... I look to Galt as like a major player and one that I would have in uh, in all exotics here. And we round out the field with the grade one winner, Rattle and Roll. He had to get scratched uh, right before the Breeders' Cup. And uh, so he, he was only able to make his return to the races in the Fountain of Youth in March. And he hadn't run from October to March. In the Fountain of Youth, he was inside. He was like ninth, about seven off. He moved up. He was close. He was a couple lengths off. Um, he got a little bit closer, but he didn't have a whole lot of room down on the inside. He kind of backed out of that spot, moved in between, he got bumped around. I think it was a race that he I feel like he should take a lot out of and step forward out of that race. The you know, I watched the work. He was working with Smile Happy. I know you you watch some of the work sometimes too. You could you could see this one. Um what what are your sort of overall thoughts of rattle and roll in this spot? Yeah, I mean, I thought going into the Fountain of Youth, it was a race he was, he was probably going to need. Um, just a lot of the the McPeak horses, they kind of they kind of cycle that way. Um, a lot of his horses run really good. Just kind of seemed like his his stock right now, this three year old crop, them needing a race, um, and rattle and roll kind of falling into that camp even before watching the race. Um, and certainly for all the reasons, you know, needing the race, the trip itself, not taking the kickback, certainly has has room to improve off that race. Now, just in terms of speed figures, um, he could certainly improve, you know, off his, his two-year-old numbers, but his two-year-old numbers are a little bit soft compared to some of these others that have been running this season. So he will have to improve on, on that aspect. Um, and then just, you know, an overall critique. He's a horse that... Um, has gate issues. Um, I mean, when he breaks slow, he really breaks slow. So he could fall, he could get into trouble as far as a trip, if that's the case. Or, you know, if he does break slow, and he is a horse that can race closer to the pace, you know, like how he broke his maiden. Um, you know, if they do have to use at that point, because you know Epicenter's going, right? And so it's a, that long stretch in the first turn. So maybe that takes something out of him. I think he's a horse that has a move forward. Um one that when I first kind of went through it, I was like, this is this is the obvious horse. And I looked a little bit deeper and I was kind of like, eh, um, well, you know, we'll see. We'll he see. Could. But he uh, could. I, I'm yeah. not going to fault anybody that likes him. Yeah, he feels like one that could step forward. Like, again, when you're looking at horses in this race and options and possibilities of horses stepping forward, he feels like that's one where he could really go either way, though, right? I mean, we've seen... The, a lot of these two-year-olds from last year that came out of the Breeders' Cup race in particular that have not stepped forward at all, ones that you figured with the race under their belt they might. Um, so, again, you, you just never know with one like him. But if you're looking, he he does fit as kind of the the next tier of horses if you're you know going against Epicenter or just whatever you're looking at. He's a, he's a contender. He's a player in here. Like always, price will come down to it. And uh, Emily, I think we saw you did a uh, a preview on YouTube for this race, and tell us about some of the other stuff that you'll have coming up this weekend. If anyone wants to uh, to look at some of your uh, your content out there, I'm always uh, very happy to get your um, insight on some of the stuff that you'll post over on Patreon too. So tell us where we can find some more of your work. 
Yeah, um, as far as other content, I'm not sure what else I'm going to put out. I mean, we were going to do a sheet for for this big day, but just kind of looking at the races, just, you know, as far as a playable sequence, kind of decided decided against it. Um, coming up next week, I'm going to be at Bet Bash doing a seminar, two-hour awesome. seminar. Awesome, I've seen you've been ta- posting a little bit about that, and you've been doing a little stuff there. Tell us a little bit about that. Yeah, so... Um, it, it might be sold out. Last I saw, there was like there was two tickets left. But um, my seminar, because it's an additional one, even if you're not attending Bat Bash, but happen to be in Las Vegas that weekend and and want to come out, that'll be on Sunday um, at three o'clock, uh, which I believe is the the local time, three o'clock local time. Um, yeah, I'm really looking forward to it. It's a, a big kind of like sports betting. A lot of just kind of a plus EV players across many different spectrums that are are getting together a big networking event i'm extremely looking forward to it it's something that's kind of new and different for me um in the sports betting world um some really great people very 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 sharp people the other um the other seminar uh i don't know what it is uh, presenters are just like extremely sharp um so i mean one as if you're not come on come on (laughs) Right? I mean, I, don't, I can't put a PhD next to my name, that's for sure. But, um, you know, I know my product really well. I've been working on my my kind of presentation and how I want to present. So um, I'm I'm really looking forward to that. I'll definitely report report back on how that goes. Please but, um, yeah. yeah, like looking ahead, I, I have I got that. a couple that's, friends that are going to be there, too. So I'll have some birdies looking at you and, and seeing how things go. So we'll, you have we'll some get some going? Yeah, I think so. I got a couple of people that okay, are. Uh, cool. Yeah, that I think well, so. let, them, let them know the seminar, even if they're not, you know, attending that bash or if they are, that's even better. Um, yeah, that's that's on Sunday and there are some some spots available still. I'll make sure if they're there, they'll come over and say hello to you and uh, awesome. and, and tell them I sent you. So uh, cool. We're, we're really looking forward to that. Anytime that you can get a little bit bigger of a, a platform just to show your knowledge and just to show like what we want to do in horse racing, like try to find value, try to, um, you know, Work really hard to try to look for and, and find maybe some uh, advantages and some uh, some things that other people wouldn't find, and that's what's so great is if you're someone who likes to do the work, uh, like me, I like to do all, like most of the work myself. You do too, because I'll I like to watch the replays and find stuff. But then the days that I, if I'm looking at a sequence and I haven't had the opportunity to to dive into it yet, I'm I just go right to you and I go right to optics, and it's always a help for me. Or if I've already looked at all the races, then I pull up optics and I can go back and forth and start to compare sometimes because I know people will use it as a different tool because I can go, okay, what did I maybe miss in this race? Because I had the race shape looking a little different. And then there'll be times where it's like, oh, we're spot on. We both think this race is going to be the same. I love it. It feels great. So it's like anything. It's it's a tool for you to use any way that you can. It's going to be different for every person. Yeah, yeah. And I mean, I, you know, I love to put the work in, but I don't have the ego to be like, or the time. I mean, it's too much, it's too much work to sit there and say, I'm going to do this all on my own, which is part of how optics came to be, because it is too much work for one person to follow all these tracks to do all these notes. Um, And especially if you're, you know, if you're gambling, right? Like, back in my personal training days and people would ask like, you know, fitness and how do I lose weight? It's like diet is 100% exercise is 100%. Like there's no, you know, in between. You, have to, you have to treat those as, all in, you know, exactly. They're not, you can't do a little bit of one, a little bit of the other. So, you know, if you're doing all this work, spending all this time handicapping, 
at, you know, and you're you're only one person, it's gonna take away from from your betting. So if a lot of your you know your work, your leg work is done for you, you have good information, you have information you trust, you know how to look at data, you know how to look at the board, you know how to um, get value out of certain situations. Um, I mean, there's just there's no better tool, right? And you're coming into it fresh. You have yep. all your energy that you can focus on gambling. A lot of the times, by the time the races are coming around, especially late in the day, you're tired. I, I, yeah, I don't, I don't have it. I'm not as sharp. Like, and you're focused. I, and it's funny because you don't like. It's such a simple thing, but it's like you just don't spend the extra few minutes putting your stuff together, right? You kind hard. of like half-ass it, and you're like, oh yeah, I like this horse. I'll kind of like. Put there that and you just kind of move into it and then you look back and you're like how did I mess that up or like what did I do I liked all these combinations like why didn't I know exactly what you mean you just you were not machines we're not robots and as much as I like to pretend I am sometimes like I just you know you need you need the refresher or you need um, just to be the right kind of mindset and the right kind of focus and that's what optics will really help you with. Yeah, a, a lot of the a lot of the big betters and winning betters that I've met with horses have said that they spend more time putting their bets together, focusing on betting than they do handicapping. So, yeah, I mean, don't don't let your ego get in the way. I'm going to do all my work. Try to keep yourself as fresh as you can be to bet the races. Emily, we are always so lucky to to hang out with you and uh, to have you come chat with uh, chat races with us. One of my favorite people to talk racing with. We're always able to kind of go back and forth and I learn something new from you each and every time we talk and I'm very excited for you uh, out at Bet Batch next week, so we'll have to hear more about that and I'm sure we'll uh, we'll link up if we don't before then. It's only like what five six weeks away, uh, Derby Day. So if we don't talk before then, I'll definitely try to get you back for uh, for undercard and and for some Derby thoughts. Awesome. Have a great birthday. Thank you so much, Emily. That's Emily Gullickson Optics EQ. Make sure to give her a follow there. Check out the Patreon. Uh, she does a great job. Everything you ever hear hear from Emily is the same kind of content. She's always so prepared and uh, and someone that I just really, really trust in the world of racing. So make sure to give her a follow and stay tuned, folks, because we've got lots more on this episode of That's What She Said. So you want to set the mood. You're looking for something all natural. Soy wax, non-toxic, baby. Scents for every season. Now don't be afraid, baby. Just spell it out. Z-E-R-A-N-O-S.com. And don't forget, promo code Gino gets you 10% off. Mmm. Mmm. Always great catching up with Emily. Uh, Make sure to give her a follow there on social media and check out her Patreon and all the content that she has. She'll definitely be leading you in the right direction uh, whenever uh, you're playing the races. So good stuff from Emily as we get set for the old wrestling rewatch. It's kind of crazy that we haven't done this one before and we had to do it right now with WrestleMania season coming up. WrestleMania 1, we head back to 1985. Hulk Hogan and Mr. T in the main event versus Rowdy Roddy Piper and Paul Orndorff, Bob, Cowboy Bob Orton out there. Um, all sorts of uh, craziness. Muhammad Ali, Superfly Snuka out there. That's all in the main event. It wasn't the most fantastic in-ring show, but it was a spectacle. The mix of celebrities there. WrestleMania won. The old wrestling rewatch heads back to the one that started it all. Oh, yeah. With Andrew Champagne and Darren Zocali. <laughs> Old Wrestling Rewatch is back. We've got Darren Zocali, Andrew Champagne, the full 
crew here with us And we are going to head back to one of the most important wrestling shows in history One that I'm kind of surprised we haven't hit at this point But it's not one that you necessarily go back and watch all the time Because it's a great show But it is really a fun one and a cool historical show to hit on And it's not a show that you're going to find a bunch of five-star matches on But what I do like about this show It moves really quick It flies Not too much overstays its welcome Only one or two things drags on a little longer than it should We're going back to Wrestlemania 1 The the night that Vince McMahon sort of put it all on the line If this thing did not hit If this was not a success This company may not have been for the long Talking about WWF early on As DZ and AC are here with us Fellas, so uh once we hit this one now, we'll have completed all Earl, all the, the 10 WrestleManias, 1 through 10. And you know what, DZ? I think watching this back, it wasn't as... I think I thought it was worse than it was. It's not It's not a, like a long, dreadful watch. It's just you sort of have to grade things on a curve the way that wrestling was. And you know that WWF at the time wasn't quite like the NWA. They were more about the... The glitz, the glamour, they were more about the storylines and the creative than necessarily the the bell-to-bell in-ring stuff. Yeah, you know, watching this back when I was like eight, nine years old where I would pick up the video at Palmer Video and rent it when I would rent the old, you know, wrestling videos from Coliseum Video and I would watch it, it, it was good. And then maybe when I watched it back in like the late 90s or whatever, it was okay. The problem with this show is... As the years go by and the further and further you get from it and the more innovative and uh, just the more modern that professional wrestling has become, the show, in my view, gets worse and worse the further you get away from it. Mm-hmm. it yep. and, and like you said, you have to grade it on the curve because you're grading it for the time that it actually took place, which, again, the further and further you get away from it, the harder that is to do. Like you said. There's nothing in here that resembles a four-star match. No. You know, and there's, there's even nothing. guys like even the thing that disappointed me, I think, the most on the show was the steamboat match. Yeah. He was you had. He yeah. was kind of slow. He saw yeah. a few little glimpses, but he wasn't flying around. And the guy had been around for a while. He was younger, but it wasn't as if he was some some fresh rook here. The right. tag match was fun. I mean, the J- Andre big stud. Like there are some aw- like really, really bad matches. But Andrew, the crowd is is what really saves the show. I mean, they are nuts. They, they and they play along exactly how Vince McMahon has dreamed of every crowd probably since th- since this show is that they cheer all the baby faces to like varying degrees based on how high you are up on the card and they boo all the heels and they really play along and they even get up in parts of the show that aren't very good. So there's a couple of things to remember about this show that if you go back and rewatch, you need to keep top of mind. First of all, People knew how to book big wrestling shows. They didn't necessarily know what to expect from an entertainment spectacle. And that's what this was. Jesse Ventura has a line in the very first match of the show where he talks about how Woodstock was to rock and roll what WrestleMania is to wrestling. Now, a lot of this show doesn't age well. Tell me that line doesn't age perfectly because that's still how we view WrestleMania. Every single year to the point where WrestleMania weekend is now also the biggest weekend for a lot of independent promotions that sell out 1,000 and 2,000 seat arenas 
in the same city as WrestleMania running really weird off times. I think GCW is doing a couple of midnight shows in Dallas this year. All night, yeah. Yeah, so you got to keep that in mind first. Nobody knew how to really book this. There wasn't a blueprint for a lot of this. They were sort of figuring things out as they went along. That's the first thing. The other thing is, this is not a long show. On the network, it's two hours and 16 minutes. There's an intermission in there, too. I mean, it's a case where only two matches, I think maybe three, go longer than eight minutes. Um, Mm -hmm. And and you can tell they feel like they're – I'm worried. This is the first big show like this they've done. So Mean Gene, when he's doing a lot of the interviews, it's real quick, in and out, Yep, not – Not getting you know a bunch of questions It's like everybody's got their one or two little lines They're going and each match Is boom boom you're in you're back Like it's there is not a lot of the The in between fluff that we see At a lot of pay-per-views where you go backstage There's maybe an angle sometimes There's a couple promos cut Um, They're kind of going You know we we know Wrestlemania is On the WWF side the first Big event this really was a Like filmed and taped like a one of the MSG shows, DZ. Yeah. Uh, really quick, just before go ahead. we yeah, move go on, ahead. there was one more thing that I did want to mention, and that is WWF was still in an older business model where a lot of the money was made on the house show loops. So you saw half the matches on this show were setting up matches that they'd run 20 or 30 times on the house show circuit rather than necessarily blowing off the feuds. Mm-hmm. The biggest yep. example of that is the Tito Santana, Greg Valentine stuff. There's also some other things that are going on as well, but well, you don't even have a Hogan to yet. remember. Yeah, no title and honestly, yeah, honestly though, does any of it matter once you hear the reactions prior to the main event? Absolutely no. not. No, they did it well. Um, it it took it takes WrestleMania two. We talked about where they went from the three different places, but DZ, it's really WrestleMania three where you sort of get the feel that okay, this thing looks. And feel sort of different I mean this this show The main event felt big And when you see the celebrities come out It was like okay wow this is a little bit different But a lot of this is kind of like You know we we had it There was a template for this in a, in a Starcade, Just not with you know for a big wrestling show They did this in Texas with the AWA And you know the Von Erics were down there Doing a lot of that And But this was just different Where you brought in the celebs And it felt like they they had, you could see they had something. I think three is the one that kind of started to feel like, okay, now it's now this is a big, big, big deal. But yeah, three, three. Obviously, you know, you went into a, a stadium with, you know, four hundred and seventy-seven thousand people. Five million, uh, yeah, <laughs> five point two. <laughs> uh, it goes up every time, um, and in reality, it probably actually goes down every time. Um, no, but in all seriousness, you know that that was. From a production standpoint, the long aisle, the, you know, wrestlers coming down in the little ring, you know, Vince McMahon standing in the middle of the ring. Welcome to WrestleMania 3, you know, it just had a a lot more production entertainment quality from just that standpoint, where this felt like it could have been a Saturday night at Madison Square Garden. Now, obviously, that changes a little bit when you talk about some of the celebrities and I mean, look, I was I was a, a you know two years old when this show you know came out, so I don't remember how big a deal Cindy Lauper was in the 1980s. I don't remember how big a deal Liberace was. Billy Martin, I know what he was to the Yankees. Obviously, Muhammad Ali, yeah, 
was a larger than life figure. So that you know, that's it was the big one that, deal. Yeah, that's I yeah, mean to me. Lopper was huge at this point. She was yeah. huge. Um, I'm sure. I'm sure she was. It's just. It's just not any. It's just not a part of pop culture that I remember experiencing. Well, I mean, negative so, two Gino and negative four Andrew probably uh, knew what was going right, on at this point, right? right? I By was the way, speaking years. of speaking of Gino, <laughs> let, let me ask you this before we we get into it. Take a uh, shot we, every time you hear the word Gino, huh? Well, I was gonna <laughs> ask, were you were you at the at the announcer's table? Seriously. I, I didn't under like was he mistakenly calling Gorilla Monsoon mean gene the entire show? Is what, that what was happening? No, that it they wasn't called? just them, it was uh Lord Alfred Hayes also yeah. did that. And I gotta tell you also, it was a happening and there was a lot of Pearl happening. Harbor stuff going yeah. on. Yeah, double, a lot of double knock and knockers too. So I yeah. I guarantee you what ended up happening was once Vince probably watched a few of these shows back, you notice that you didn't hear that after about 1986 or seven. That was the nickname for Gorilla. They called him Gino Monsoon. He was nick- really? every, everybody back. A lot of the guys backstage all called him Gino. So Jesse and all of them would refer to him on the broadcast. But th- but just like you guys said, how confusing is that? It was where you've got Mean Gene Okerlund. Of That's course, what I, like, thought. I thought he was mistaken. He Oakland, was talking yeah. about Gene Okerlund. It, of course, Learned it was something be. new every day, even in the it's world of professional wrestling. That, and so I guarantee after who uh, Vince or anybody watched the show back, they had to have said the same thing that we did. Hey, you can't call him Gino anymore. It's got to be Gorilla. And that's why I think <laughs> he would overdo the Gorilla after. I wonder if it was like, a, I'm a, I'm, I'll make sure I say Gorilla because I'll do it in this voice, you know, like I'll do it this way. So I'm not going to accidentally call him Gino because that would be hard if that was a nickname you use for your buddy. And they're like, oh, hey, you can't call Darren DZ anymore. I'd accidentally yeah. do it a few times. You know what I mean? Like just out of a, so yeah, that was, I had that down too. Shot every. It's so funny for me because with my name, the only time I ever heard it was with me and my dad. So it's, it's so rare for me to be watching something and hearing Gino. And it all throughout this broadcast, I just was smirking every time. It's like I'm sure you guys, Darren, you'll have Darren, or there'll be a character named Andrew all the time on stuff. But it's a, it was so hilarious and random. So shout out to Gino Monsoon. As uh, yeah, DZ, you mentioned Mr. T, Muhammad Ali, Cindy Lauper, Billy Martin, Liberace. What they had going for them at this point, too, was the relationship with MTV. Leading up to WrestleMania, they had a couple shows on MTV. One was called The Brawl to End It All, and then The War to Settle the that. Score. Yeah. That were broadcast. The it, um, it literally, one of them was broadcast. It was a, a title match between Piper and Hogan. Just about a month and a half before Wrestlemania And it was sort of a, a To get the build for this match And it and kind of ended in a schmoz And it helped set up the big tag match And on when they would have these shows on MTV You would see Them bringing in um, Andy Warhol And Danny DeVito Just all these crazy like celebrities And they'd be talking about the show That they were at, they were watching, they were getting this big mix MTV, when they were doing The MTV news and stuff, they would report on uh, Like a lot of the wrestling shows They'd they'd go through the results and report on it Like it was real They do the, there was a show Wait, 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 you mean it's not real? What are we even talking about? What are we talking about? What the hell have we been doing What are we doing? It's still real to me, damn it You know, it's uh they they did that show where it was like um it was like this new agey sort of uh, uh where they'd have a lot of like college professor types sitting around drinking beers and talking about different topics and they would go on about wrestling wrestling is like theatrics it's so great you know and they would you know it, it was amazing what they were 
they were doing and how wrestling was becoming mainstream at this time and Vince tried to take a big chance and capitalize on it and uh it worked and he was very lucky it did WrestleMania 1 sort of started it all you could only watch this thing on closed circuit and it his idea had to have been sparked from seeing Starcade in 1983 and big shows and thinking I can do that better mm-hmm. I can do what they do but I want to make it even more than just wrestling I want to bring and he, and he had and obviously I mean he had the at what was at the time uh the best platform in 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 the country mm-hmm. in terms of Madison Square Garden so mm-hmm. you know that that automatically gave him the big fight feel it's the place where you know the Rangers play the Knicks play back then in the early 80s St. John's was a massive big east uh you know competitor obviously the the boxing matches in Alley and Frazier so when you when you set the stage and you say yeah well you can have your shows down south or in the Midwest, and they could be big and blah blah blah. I've got Madison Square Garden. You automatically get a leg up on everybody else. We had uh, nineteen thousand here, March the thirty first, nineteen eighty five, and the thing you'll notice too is this is a, a, this Jesse's not really a heel here, and I don't know no. if this was a directive because his it head, this sure is a, seemed like somebody right? told him to tone it down. He because he didn't. There was like no healing from. He Jesse. called they, Tito Santana Chico, Chico one times. time. Yeah, one time. Yeah, no, yeah, there's nothing. not a lot of good material like we normally have. No, from the back and forth, and I wonder if it was like, hey, Vince was saying, hey, look, this is our big show. Let's just keep it, play, you know, play it safe. Don't say anything that's going to get us in trouble or turn anybody off. Like, let's focus on the big stars and everything that we have here because. It it is noticeable hearing Jesse. I kept waiting for like, when is he gonna do? You know, and you, you look back, he would be a heel prior to this, mm-hmm. and and mm-hmm. and have heelish tendencies. But yeah, maybe it was a combo of him thinking this is gonna be the biggest platform I've ever had. I've been on. Let's you know. Um, but yeah, Gorilla and Jesse, he they show up in that big pink puffy tux. Gorilla's got the blue on early, and we have WrestleMania one. The other thing as we get into it that. We will see him make an appearance And so I guess it doesn't really matter Because it, it the same exact sort of purpose Was served but it's strange To me that Bruno didn't have a match on this show Because Bruno was Retired but if you look You can look on like cage match Database and all the places that have results Of all their matches Bruno was still Wrestling a lot of matches at that time On the house shows well, he, he was, was doing, doing stuff a, with his son right Exactly he was tagging with him a ton He And then he had a, a run basically from 85 through 87. He did a bunch of stuff with Randy Savage for the IC title. His final match was actually a tag with Hogan, him and Hogan. Um, so it just seems so weird that on a show like this where with Bruno, I mean, I guess saying Bruno's going to be in his corner, people would, but I think you figured that would have even gotten you more buzz and you could have had the, the tag team match there with, you know, against Johnny Valiant and, and Brutus. And it would have, that was the only thing that I thought was weird because the crowd just was so nuts for Bruno, man. Yeah, <laughs> that's actually one of the notes that I put down, too, was the fact that, A, why wasn't this a tag match? And B, the San Martinos actually get the first entrance of the night. Bruno comes out first. The crowd goes bonkers for him. Probably the second biggest pop of the night behind Hogan and Mr. T was for Bruno San Martino. Then David gets in the ring they give them 11 minutes and it the felt match like 30 just goes nowhere. It was look, 
understanding that we're grading stuff on a curve. We're not expecting Leilani Kai and Wendy Richter to be Bailey versus Sasha from NXT TakeOver. We're not going there. <laughs> from an arbitrary standpoint, David San Martino against Brutus Beefcake was bad. Okay. Yeah. It just was. And the fact that they had one of the biggest stars in the history of the business and they could do nothing with him except stand him outside while his kid got led through the motions by a guy who was 28 years old and wouldn't be a good worker for another couple of years. That was a swing and a miss. Mm-hmm. It just, this seemed weird, but they, they'd figure things out a little bit better nowadays. <laughs> you know, you know what they're doing. We're talking about Would how they, they might though? be. Would yeah. they though? I mean, they would bring Bruno back now as far as in, in just in that sense, Maybe not about the David stuff or that match, but Bruno would be on the card because this version of Vince, who brings everybody back years and years and years later, he would have been paying Bruno anytime there was a, a Bruno would be on the card nowadays in MSG for WrestleMania. Well, if see, there was here's, a the, possibility. here's the thing. We were talking about Cindy Lauper and how none of us were really alive to understand and experience her popularity. 40 years down the line, what are we going to be saying about Logan Paul? <laughs> That's true That's funny And we'll have a lot of Wrestlemania content for this year I'll have to make sure we do a little round table With DZ and Andrew And uh, we'll get Chad Coop in we'll Who do knows, some maybe he'll previews. drop a Canadian Destroyer outside And it'll be like, oh my god, it's the best match of Wrestlemania <laughs> We might we might get Vinnie Mac in the ring We might get Stone Cold Please god no, please god Who knows? no That can't be, happen, right? Could I mean, uh, we'll see on Thursday Vince, We're recording this uh, a couple days before Vince McMahon's gonna go on the Pat McAfee show for a podcast And the rumors are there might be Some things start that start there I don't know if Austin I, can Theory you, Can you imagine, can you imagine something? If you were Forget about the fact that he's your boss Because people have done that before But if you, they put you in the ring With how old is he What is 76 I think so yes sir. You got to go in the ring With a 76 year old man And I mean my, my father passed away At 77 so for me, that like really resonates where put a guy in the ring at 76 years old and the guy pays me money to, to work for him. And I have to do it not only in a way to perform well, but not kill the guy. And oh, wait, oh, hey, <laughs> by the way, the guy is nuts and he's yeah. going to probably tell me to yeah. put him through the floor. Yeah. And don't like you know what Vince If he's in the ring there he's gonna tell whoever You make it look like this hurts You yeah. nail me I'm gonna be bleeding And then you squeeze it he would He's nuts yeah. He's nuts so it's not even like it's a sane person Who you're th- This is gonna be a lot of fun um, And let's also not forget the whole Pat McAfee is not a trained Professional I know. wrestler thing He looked now, good to, with to be Adam fair, Cole yes, He looked great with Adam Cole He looked great in NXT but as we've seen, heard, and learned, <laughs> NXT skill sets don't necessarily translate to the main roster. And when you're in that kind of environment where they're designed to walk you through it, gee, uh, retired NFL punter versus 76-year-old insane guy, like, no buys at all. What's like The only reason I can think of that he's doing this if that he might be doing this rather Vince is he's rewatched his stuff with Bob Costas, where it looked like he was going to go across the table <laughs> at Costas and said, damn it, pal, I want to do that. That's because Austin theory was teasing it a little bit. If only yep. Vince knew way back in 1985 that, uh, 
all these years later we'd be talking about a possible Vince McMahon match at 76. I wonder what he would be thinking. I wonder what his he'd dad would be asking how much be. money he has in his bank right. account and I think he'd be just fine with it. And I I'm sure he is as uh March 31st, 1985 in Madison Square Garden, we get the intro video package with uh just some kind of pictures of each matchup and the song was Easy Lover from Phil Collins and Philip Bailey. It was just the instrumental there. I mean, that's what you think about when you think about professional it, it, wrestling. You know what's funny? It sounds like a combination of like what you would have in the background of a video game at the time or a hmm. porn movie. Like either one. It's just this weird music that's like, is that video game like background, like sh- like star pilot music, or is that a porn. I can't quite figure hmm. it out, but it's it's one of those two. Sounds As, like a low budget game show that we yeah. <laughs> need to put on some television network somewhere. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> so we get ready for WrestleMania here. And yeah, it just does look like the MSG house shows. It's the lights are still sort of dimmed. Um they broadcast this on the networks for you right over there, right? DZ, the MSG, a lot of these house shows, uh, I think early on they would they would be on one of those um yeah, know, yeah, you'd be able. Yeah, you'd be able to watch. I forget what the channel was, but they, I, it was some kind of closed captioning. But you were able closed circuit thing. But you were able to get it at some point. I think it was right around. I was probably as right around the time I moved to Staten Island. So I was probably about five years old when I mm-hmm. remember that stuff. So you're yeah. talking about like '88. I'm sure it probably went on before that too. So uh, the take a shot every time Gino is said contest begins here, <laughs> and whoever was supposed to sing the national anthem, they still have not. Given up who it was it was supposed to be A star and they no showed so Mean Gene ended up having to do it and He would just went in and just said okay everybody I need your help uh, we're gonna Sing this national anthem and here, here What he was goes. the best what was the best part of that uh, the, best, the best part of that Is that he's got the lyrics written down on a napkin. In his hand it's like I got <laughs> The thing that's so funny I, I, I was Thinking the same thing it's like Mean Gene Who has done a billion Interviews throughout his life Off the cuff you literally hear about how Mean Gene is is got to forcibly like walk Billy Martin through a lot of the vignettes they were doing leading up to this show because Billy Martin was so drunk every time yeah. he was supposed to do something for WWF that Mean Gene had to had to set the whole thing up, do this, and he can't remember the national anthem. Well, to be fair, I don't know <laughs> if it was can't remember or if it was a case where Vince insisted because it's the first thing people are going to see on the show he's betting his company on. And it may well just be a case where he insisted on Gene, who was not supposed to sing that evening, having that security blanket so he didn't trip up. Yeah, that's just so funny because I understand that's it. far less scandalous and salacious than no. we want to believe. But, but knowing what we know about Vince and how much of a control freak he is sometimes, that makes a lot of sense. Jesse says that Mean Gene was right up there with Robert Goulet. <laughs> and Gorilla just starts dropping unbelievables. Unbelievable. It is unbelievable. He's unbelievable. It's happening. We check in with Lord Alfred Hayes. Can and we then... talk about Lord Alfred <laughs> Hayes's suit? <laughs> please, please. It is this incredible cream-colored double-breasted monstrosity that should be preserved in a physical wrestling hall of fame somewhere. My goodness. And th- there just look a few little things that you could see that they just hadn't worked out. They were just production snafus and stuff where Lord Alfred would do some of the like his little check-ins 
right by the aisle, like the entrance way. And so a lot of times when they would check in with him, you'd see the wrestlers coming back from their end of their match, or you'd see them heading down the aisle. And so it was sort of a weird, they wouldn't do this anymore in that setup. You'll, you could tell they would learn a few things throughout the show that you would really like never see them do again. I'm sure production stuff that you, you know, your first time doing something like this, it's things you don't really think about until you see them and you go, uh oh, that kind of doesn't work and that doesn't make a lot of sense. As uh, we get an interview with Tito Santana and the executioner, this is when they would do the interviews right there in the same locker room, too, a lot of the time. Save time, save having to cut. And one guy and, goes out, one guy comes in. Mm-hmm. You just go right from Tito Mean Jeans right there on the next side You go over to the executioner None of these promos Throughout the night and backstage Interviews and stuff were much They're all really basic, really quick um, Tito said uh, Tito did give us an arriba And then uh, The executioner said he was going to go after Tito's leg and it was Just quick, Mean Jean was in and out of there Really quick The first ever Wrestlemania match Tito Santana versus the executioner Who was playboy buddy Rose uh, Under the uh, the mask Tito had just lost the IC title At this time to Greg Valentine And Tito is over Tito gets a huge pop I'd Good say probably choice for the opener here Great, great choice You know this, You Andrew was sort of going through who, who probably got some of the bigger responses Throughout the night And it it, it built towards the end And the main event got, got what they wanted Huge pops, huge responses Bruno was Huge, you know, but Tito and you know, uh, JYD is always going to get really great responses there to Andre. Tito is probably fifth, right? I mean, he's right in the mix, he's definitely a top tier baby face. He's right in that range, he's really he's in great shape. And, and Tito he wins, he actually yeah. wins, <laughs> he wins matches at this point. He's not just the, the jobber to everyone, and that's that's the difference between Tito at this point and Tito down the line. It, it was not even that he wasn't good anymore. It was just that you're right. He wins. They gave him wins. He, for the executioner, parts unknown. And he is. By the uh, way, this is Buddy. This is Buddy Rose executioner, not not uh, Terry Gordy executioner. Yeah. For those, yeah, but, yes, those out there, the way, for those uh, out there wondering in uh, yep. wrestling land. And Gino, uh, you mentioned part unknown. They also said weight unknown, which was a funny little quirk because a couple years later, Buddy Rose would have the gimmick where he would market himself as 217 pounds, but he was actually 271 pounds. And that was a source of pretty cheap heat. It's interesting foreshadowing because that came first rather than the stuff that he did with his weight later on. And I saw that, I'm like, wait a minute, I need to check the timeline again. It's really strange how that stuff lines up. Another cool line, Gorilla welcomes the millions of fans watching WrestleMania. He's not wrong. There were uh, over a million people, at least, that watched this first show, and then millions more in the years to come. Tito, uh, yeah, Tito's really, really fan favorite here. A little back and forth. We get a back body drop, drop kick from Tito. Executioner heads out. Then he comes back in, and he gets the advantage for a little bit. Headbutt, um, kick to the gut. He move, He tries to go for the leg lock. Tito uh, fights out. Tito with the side headlock himself We get a body slam from the executioner He goes up to the top rope But then Tito is able to catch him up there And fling him off with a slam He goes for a splash But executioner gets the knees up there um, A lot of basic stuff But Tito is in great shape He flies around He's just a really good baby face here And um, Tito is able to uh, Send him out to the floor 
And then gets back in the ring We get a body slam And the crowd really starts going nuts For the Tito comeback uh, Running forearm He locks in the figure four And the uh, executioner submits and Around five minutes or so The executioner offense was sloppy looking But the Tito stuff was really good And as Andrew mentioned This felt like a very nice opener This probably was one of the better Tito was one of the better wrestlers on the card at this time He just felt really comfortable as a baby face He knew what he was doing It wasn't anything too crazy Five minutes You got everything you needed out of this match Again, we're not talking about five-star stuff But at the time, this was a, a solid opener, DZ Yeah, good choice for the opener uh, Like you mentioned, you know, Tito gets a pop Gets the crowd into it early Nothing over-the-top dramatic from a wrestling standpoint Tito's got a few good moves But, uh yeah, I mean, the executioner, uh, Buddy Rose, is what he, what he is at this point in his career. Kind of a weird finish. You, like, you don't know that the match is over. It, it's kind of like the bell rings, and it looks like the ref is waving it off. And then, Those early submissions yeah, you, were because there wasn't a tap out yet, yeah, so yep. you couldn't see it. And it wasn't like we could hear them scream, I quit or I give up. Right. And so it would just be the ref just rings the bell. So they were yep. a little anticlimactic sometimes. Yeah, very much so. But the babyface gets the win. You got a good start to the, uh, you know, that means classic booking. You know, babyface opens the card with a win. Obviously, the big babyface is going to close the card. Um, you know, that's that's classic WWF booking at this time. But it's it's smart to put this match up front and 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 put a fire underneath the uh, the crowd right away. Yeah, I've got no beef with this match. Uh, it's your basic house show type match that you'd see nowadays, but the crowd's red hot for it. Tito's very popular, and there's a couple of pretty cool little spots near the end. Uh, Santana's able to get a slam of Buddy Rose off the top. He hits his, he tries to hit a splash, but the splash hits all knees. And I like the end finish too, where Santana uses his legs, sends the executioner over the top. Then slams him back in, gets the forearm, gets the figure four. It was quick, but it didn't feel rushed. As far as this match goes, no issues with it. And since we're talking about Buddy Rose, if you haven't seen his late 80s AWA stuff with uh, Doug Summers and that tag team that they had, go watch some of their stuff, especially with Shawn Michaels and Marty Jannetty. They had a tremendous series of tag matches in the mid to late 80s that if you haven't seen, you absolutely should. Tito gets the win by submission The first ever winner of a Wrestlemania match uh, Match Tito Santana Go down in history my friend As uh, we check in with Lord Alfred Hayes Who helped set us up For the next match we go backstage To SD Jones he said he's going to Get down and feel the excitement And go out there and buy your hats And your shirts and everything gets a little And don't blink because you might miss it Yeah Yeah <laughs> Yeah, so then Bundy talked You know what, the one thing I always mention with Bundy is And Andrew, this is your boy, this is your buddy He's a good promo He's a really good promo And you you know, he had Bobby Heenan Or you just, he didn't really talk a whole hell of a lot After probably 86, after his stuff with Hogan We didn't even hear a whole lot from him Maybe if you, if you watch Married with Children, you might have But the guy <laughs> could, he could cut a nice promo And it was it would sound good Compare him to some of the other Sort of bigger imposing guys at the time Andre unfortunately you couldn't really Understand what he was saying from a promo standpoint Big John Stud wasn't much I mean he He, he couldn't um, Be as eloquent and like elaborate On what he wanted to do like King Kong Bundy did Andrew you you uh, you had a fun interaction with this guy Yeah I did uh, You mentioned he was my buddy um, When I was a kid I believe this was in the year 2000 
My dad took me to Wildwood, New Jersey, and NWA New Jersey would run shows on the boardwalks up and down the Jersey Shore. And they just so happened to be running a show in Wildwood. Yeah, the night we were there. Cool little building. Um, I remember 911 won the world title in that promotion in a cage match uh, as part of the main event. But they had an autograph signing, a meet and greet sort of thing where you could go in, you know, shake the hands of the wrestlers and get a picture taken and whatnot. And I got a picture taken with King Kong Bundy and that iteration of the Patriot, who I believe was Tom Brandy at that point. But King Kong Bundy is choking me with his hands around my neck. And I'm selling that choke better than 50% of the roster in that back room would have. Meanwhile, the Patriot has a thumbs up and he's deliberately not talking because this was right after Del Wilkes' run as the Patriot in WWF. So anytime somebody different under the mask would have talked, it would have meant it was somebody else. But that was a fun time and it's a fun memory. And that picture is still my Venmo profile picture, actually. (laughs) King Kong Bundy gets a massive Squash here it's funny to think about His trajectory of just the first three Wrestlemanias where He he's he's got like Polarizing places on the card in all, in all Three of them in this mat in this He's in the squash that when you talk about Bundy and SD Jones everybody Would know what you meant here and in Wrestlemania 2 he's in the main event against Hogan And then in Wrestlemania 3 he's in the match With the uh, with the little People where he squashes a uh, little Beaver there and so it's it just kind of a funny to see where he goes from here all the way up and then sort of quite back the quite the arc right <laughs> yeah uh for the first few years as king kong bundy versus sd jones comes up next he did get a good pop for sd jones the fans were this is a good crowd they were into all the baby faces they did what well, they're supposed to do according to lord alfred hayes sd jones was a great star just listen to him <laughs> the Match actually goes about 25 seconds. They say nine. Um, it goes 25 seconds. I mean, there's nothing. Bundy, like a little bit of a bear hug, a splash, and then a big splash. They say it was a nine second match. It was 25. I recorded it. I checked it a few times. So, um, phone one of the earlier uh, uh, accountants accounts of uh, WWF lying to us, but nonetheless, big squash and. King Kong Bundy was about to get a big push. We he's going to be in the main event of the next WrestleMania. He's going to go on to have a program with Hogan. He ended up doing a lot of um I think there were a lot of tag matches that would uh, would go on after this with Bundy and Stud against Hogan and Andre for a little while. So he was shot up to the uh to the main event towards the top of the card for the next year year and a half or so. Like deeper into 86, he was still kind of finishing off that feud with Hogan. So DZ, I mean <laughs> Can't really give this a rating on the five star scale or anything, but a uh, squash here uh, for uh, Bundy to make him look strong. Yeah, three moves, uh, complete domination. You know, it's kind of funny if the special delivery Jones talking about how he's been waiting for this moment. You know, and it's a pretty <laughs> quick moment. Pretty quick moment. You get uh, you get one move, an avalanche, a splash, and call it a day. That's a quick payday. Uh Yeah, clearly they use this to prop Bundy up, send him on his way as the heel to go against Hogan. You know, we know where that's going to be heading, but they really do have some big, you know, time villains in terms of just from a size standpoint. Uh, You know, and eventually we'll have another one with Andre. But uh, the one thing, though, I I, I really liked watching this back 
and uh, seeing a babyface Andre. It's something that I didn't get to see a lot of because by the time I started watching wrestling, he was already a heel. And I anything that I would need to see babyface wise, I would have to go back and watch. Um, so it was kind of cool to see him at WrestleMania here still as a as a babyface. But Bundy plays a great heel. Um, you know, he's got the heel look. He's, you know, just a massive figure in the ring. And this is uh, obviously does what it's supposed to do and sets things up for the major heel for the next year or so. So Bundy had one of the great little quirks to any heel character. And it was so good that a couple of years ago, WWE gave it to someone else to try to make them. Three ain't enough. He needed five. The five the second five count. count. And of course, Big E did that when he was coming up to the main roster as a way to try to make him. In fact, if you go to Pro Wrestling Tees, there is a King Kong Bundy Count to Five t-shirt that I may actually need to order because it's kind of a cool shirt. But uh, no, Bundy was the quintessential big guy heel. Was he a tremendous worker? No. He was, however, a pretty good promo for a guy that really didn't need to talk. And that was the thing with him. He didn't need to say a word. He had a manager there, but he was good enough on the mic to where he could cut the kind of promo that would make you want to see if someone could beat him. And obviously that wasn't happening here, but uh, Bundy did a lot of really cool stuff over the course of his career. And by the way, he is uh, credited in Bret Hart's book for showing him a lesson about perspective near the end of his run. And when Bret was starting to come up and people were trying to say, okay, yeah, this guy's going to be somebody. He pulled Bret Hart over on the side of the road. They were driving together and they watched the space shuttle launch at Cape Canaveral, a couple miles down the road. And it was one of those things where you see it and you look really small and Hart credited Bundy for, for teaching him a couple of lessons. And yes, I'm the one that got the Bret Hart reference in on this show. Look at that. Look at, <laughs> you know, King Bundy and the you show could have used some Bret Hart. There we go. There we go. You, you can see why um, a lot of these guys were stars of the territory era because King Kong Bundy was a perfect fit for wrestling in the territory era, sort of before it really was all the time on TV because you see this guy in person and He's big, he's got this look, he's bald And he's got a, you know, he can be Imposing, but like Andrew was saying He's nothing spectacular in the ring, neither was Andre And any of these guys that you started to see Over and over and over again They just felt a little less special every time you did But when he would pop in And have a run for a couple months In each territory And you'd you'd be able to build him up the card all the way to the top And then you have him lose to your baby face And then you send him back, and then he comes back A year later and he's scary all over again He was perfect Perfect for this era of wrestling King Kong Bundy uh, On his way up heading to Wrestlemania 2 which we have a full recap If you want to head back and, uh, and take a listen To that one We had to King, uh, we get to uh, Mean Gene Backstage with Matt Bourne uh, Doink the Clown uh, Matt Bourne wrestled Ricky Steamboat here I thought Bourne's promo was kind of funny he, he was just honest He said hey Ricky you're one of the best in the world But you're just too nice you don't have a mean streak And Ricky came back and he just Addressed what they what he said Hey yeah they say I'm too nice I'm gonna show you um, I'm gonna show you how tough I can be Ricky is 28 at this time Man is he huge I was gonna say the same thing His he, upper um, body Yeah he, is, he was a bodybuilder before he got into professional wrestling And he always had that sort of physique 
But would it be a surprise if it turned out he was on something here? No. no. He was way slimmer down just two years from here. And think about like the night early 90s, how slim he is. In, right. Like, like he was stuff. He's he was still slim. very in shape, but he was very lean. Yes. Like the, he was, I mean, you could have thought it was a different guy The way that he wrestled this match too And that's what's weird about it Is that he It's not as if he was bad in this match But it's a really slow pace for a Steamboat match That's like the opposite of what you see In almost every one of his matches There's always pretty quick Pretty quick pace At least at the start And then at the end And then maybe there are the parts in the middle Where things slow down and, You know, he has to sell a lot But this was a little bit strange. This was the one of the matches that I kind of circled. I was like, oh, okay, I'm sure we'll get a good steamboat because Bourne's a pretty good worker. I, I don't think I think Bourne's sort of underrated. The early Doink stuff. He's a oh, you just. I was gonna before you did that. I was gonna say I was gonna make the people out there listening put their thinking caps on. Yeah. And say if you were if you were around in WWF in the early '90s. Yeah. Tell me who Matt Bourne was. There we go, man. Yeah. Yeah, and. uh I mean, some of the stuff that he did, some of the work he did with Brett, with Crush, there were some good matches and some good stuff in there from Doink. He had a lot of good stuff on on Superstars too. Matt Bourne could go, but I, they, this match was fine. It wasn't awful. It wasn't like one of the worst on the show or anything. I just wanted a little bit more from it. We, uh, you know, we got you just, uh, some you just cool specs. So much, yeah. That's the problem. You do. You got some leapfrogs from him. He he kept going back to the chin lock a few times. Then Bourne was in control for a little bit There was a little back and forth um, it, it did slow down We got some cool suplex stuff A belly to belly And then a really nice snap suplex from uh, from Bourne Ricky with some of the chops And then the cross body The cross body is awesome I mean he jumps like more than halfway across the ring But yeah I think I just wanted a little bit more This thing went I think four and a half-ish A little more than, than that So probably just one of, one of the I'm not expecting a lot on this show, but I guess like DZ is saying, the one of the people that she sort of are is from Steamboat, and maybe I wanted a little bit more from this match. You could see some glimpses of incredible stuff, and two years from now, he's going to have, if anyone says it's their favorite WrestleMania match, or they think it's the best, you're not wrong. You know, it's, at, at that time, it was as good as a match that you'll, as you'll ever see, the one that he has with uh, Randy Savage two years from here at WrestleMania 3. But DZ, um, Matt Bourne, and Ricky Steamboat go at it here. Yeah, I mean, there's two ways to view the match. The first way is, oh, you you know, you watch the first two matches and, you know, and you say, okay, you had a squash and nothing that was offensive in the Tito match. It was fine. All right, now we're going to get Steamboat. Let's settle in and watch, you know, this guy who's had some of the all-time great matches with Savage and Flair, and this is going to be great. And then you watch the match and you go, ugh, and you feel let down. The other thing to do is look at this match for what it was in 1985 on this card where. It's probably one of the better matches on the card. Now, that doesn't mean it's good, <laughs> you know, but it just means from a sheer wrestling standpoint, mm-hmm. yeah, it, it's yeah. probably one of the better matches on the card. But there's of nothing course, bad about it. It's, yeah. They don't have any flubs or there's not like botches or anything. It's smooth, fine wrestling. I just like looked at these two guys and it was like, like you were saying, Matt Bourne is not bad. So the floor yeah. for these two guys should actually be pretty good. Yeah, exactly. And and I could certainly understand, you know, being let down by it, but it's, you know, it doesn't offend me. It's fine. But that seems to be a common theme for several of these matches. But like you said, you know, Steamboat is going to be known for what he does two years later in the match with Savage, where 
you know, you could talk, you can talk to your blue in the face and argue about what's the greatest wrestling match of all time. What's the greatest WrestleMania match of all time. And it's hard to, to lock down on one match. But the one thing that you could say about that match is that we are now 35 years later and it's still talked about as one of the best wrestling matches of all time. So uh, that tells you all you need to know about what Steamboat could do, what that match was. This match, sure, I wanted a little bit more, uh, but uh, it was cool to see a different version of Steamboat that I really didn't remember that much. So two things here, uh, in addition to the stuff you guys have pointed out. First of all, there's a cool little quirk during Howard Finkel's introductions. Matt Bourne goes down to a knee and he mockingly does Jimmy Snuka's pose. They mention this because at the time, Steamboat and Snuka were teaming up. And we'd see Snuka in the main event uh, accompanying Hogan and Mr. T to the ring. So that was a pretty cool little thing to see. And also, just one little thing in defense of this match. This is a Ricky Steamboat squash. How many of those are out there? Not a lot. Steamboat was not the kind of guy that you put out there to guzzle somebody. In a lot of ways, he and Owen Hart were very similar in that regard. One of the reasons it took Owen Hart a while to get going is they'd bring him in for tryout matches, they'd have him guzzle somebody, and he just wasn't that kind of worker. Steamboat wasn't the kind of worker to guzzle somebody. He was the guy you put in there to make the other guy look as good as he could possibly be. That, I would argue, is one of the reasons this match comes off as a little bit of a clunker. It's still not terrible, especially not compared to the other stuff that we'd see on this show. It's four minutes. It's not long. I can live with what we got. Ricky Steamboat, he's going to be uh, moving on up also. And yeah, I'm glad you mentioned that, Andrew. That that would have been a fun tag team to get to see a little bit of with uh, with Steamboat and, uh, and Snooka flying all over the place at this uh, this time. We now take a look at uh, David San Martino backstage with Mean Gene, son of Bruno, and uh, luscious Johnny Valiant is the manager for Brutus Beefcake there, who doesn't let Brutus talk. It's all about uh, Johnny V. Just real quick stuff there as Lord Alfred sets up the next match, and that's where we see the guys from the uh, prior match coming back down the aisle. Mean Gene, real quick, with all these interviews in and out. And this match, this match was my least favorite thing on the show until about the last 30 seconds of it. And I don't understand why, why they felt the need to give this match as much time as they did. It's not as if Brutus was crazy big star at this point. Why did this match go longer than even JYD can't go that long? But if you, Valentine could have gotten a few more minutes out of there. You could have gotten a couple more out of Ricky or Tita. Any of the matches you could have piled a couple more on. Even the main event, you could have added two more on that with the tags, and it was fine. There was so much going on. This seemed weird. And the 11 minutes plus that this thing went, almost 12, felt really unnecessary when all that we needed to get was the Bruno stuff. I mean, this is like, this is the Austin coming out drinking beers. This is the argument for the people who. Say Austin doesn't need to be in a match The thing about Austin being in a match is You can sell tickets promoting Austin being in a match You can put that on a billboard Can't really do that as much saying Austin's going to show up Doesn't really work quite the same way But it serves the same purpose Once we got Bruno to come in Throw a couple punches Everybody was going to go crazy Everything up to this was just I mean bad It was bad Lots of stalling 
early Brutus is kind of strutting, mocking, just wasting a few minutes. Drop toe hold. They're trying to. He's trying to do a lot of like catch, sort of shoot wrestling. And and this isn't really where WWF was at the time. They were really starting to get to get into more showy stuff. You know, more sports entertainment and arm drag, leg submissions here. The you know double toe hold again, leg submissions on the knee. Brutus with the headlock. They show footage of Bruno watching, and then towards the end, when Valiant and Bruno get involved. The crowd is nuts, and that's when the crowd just starts going crazy for it. And then it's it's fun there. Everything that happens after the match, but wow, this thing felt way longer than it was. It was one of the real down points of the show, just sucking up so much time. They did get what they wanted, though. The crowd loved it. The crowd was pretty hot for David at the end. They were extremely hot for Bruno. I think it was more the combination of of those two. And Bruno was fifty at this point, and he was moving around really well. Like I said, he wrestled matches in February, March, May, September. In WrestleMania 2, he was in the Battle Royal with the NFL uh, guys. He had matches with Macho Man for the IC title. His final match in 1987 was a tag with Hulk Hogan. I think people would have been more into it, and I would have too, if this was booked like a tag match where a lot of it... David was getting beat by the heels And then you get the hot tag from Bruno They come back and they get a win I think that would have been a better way of doing it This is a double count out here And maybe it's just because like, If this was early David San Martino And he ended up being something We could look back on this And kind of like the early stages of The Rock And see, think it was funny But he just never really panned out And Bruno wasn't going to be getting along With WWE for far longer than this and, and he wouldn't be on good terms With them for a while So Fun spot at the end MSG loves Bruno DZ but man It took us a while to get there Yeah it took us a long time to get there There's a lot that you didn't need in this match I mean, You you hit on just about anything The other thing that I'll mention uh, with, with, with Beefcake Beefcake looks like an Adonis here I don't know if you He's guys tight, it, man. He is, he is tight Like he is There is Like he is jacked but tight Like there is no Like you know crazy buff Puff to him it is just A guy that is chiseled Probably the best shape I have ever Seen beefcake in is in this Match uh, he looks phenomenal uh, You get a little bit of the beefcake Strut at one point which is always A good callback and good to see But the match is not much it, Like you said it goes on for way Too long you get the Payoff in the end but like you said I they would really have to go through 12 minutes To get there um, is the is the main beef that I have that this match just you know Brutus of course eventually does become a, a fairly recognizable name and probably was on his way to a a major role you know until his his unfortunate accident or an expansion of his major role I should say um, but even that being said th- this match was given just way too much time. I've said this before about a couple of matches we've looked at that have either had a special referee or someone on the outside or whatever. When the only guy getting any heat or interest from the fans is the guy outside the ring, there's a problem. And that's the case here. I'm going to float a theory in that I think this match was as long as it was as a favor to Bruno to try to push the kid. Yeah, it had to have been. I mean, it had to have been. You wonder if it was like we're asking why. 
You wonder if it was something that Bruno was like. I want to. I'm going to put my kid in the spotlight. Let him have a match one on one. I'll do other stuff on the house shows and I'll get in the match. You're right. It could have been a thing that Bruno wanted or they were doing for him because otherwise, just from where these guys were placed on the card and their importance on this show, it didn't make any sense that this had to go more than five minutes. Right, for sure. And the fact that there was a non-finish. To the best of my knowledge, it didn't lead to anything on the house shows. It, it, there's just not a lot good about this match that I can say. I mean, Bruno San Martino gets a big pop. It's Bruno San Martino in New York. He could go to New York, get a bagel, get on a train, and go home and get a gigantic pop. That's Man, all we do have some in good bagels in New York. You do have some good bagels in New York. <laughs> I got to say, miss those out here in California. But having said that, this just... I, I don't like using this sort of word because it's not like the two guys weren't trying, but this just hit me as a waste of time. It did. It did. On a show that, like I said, the even the stuff that's not good on this show, it's kind of fun. It's quick. The it's crowd into it. And it never seems like a waste of time. No. This felt like a waste of time. A hundred percent. A hundred percent. Everything sort of had some purpose. You could see it was either a feud happening or starting or trying to get somebody over. This was just getting Bruno over. Like you said, this was trying to get the kid over, but it did nothing for the kid. Um, yeah, this this was not uh, not great. We would move along to Greg the Hammer Valentine, who was backstage and Jimmy Mouth of the South Heart talking about why he's the greatest IC champ of all time. Uh, he was lean, mean, and full of fighting fury. Then we get the JYD who wants a bone to chew on. So uh, Greg is okay I see title match JYD versus Greg the Hammer Valentine JYD was your basically number two babyface At this time period um, And so the unfortunate thing For JYD was he was never going to be in, in the picture to get a, a real title shot JYD wasn't the greatest In ring he was a ton of charisma Crowds everywhere he went Loved him he was just A star magnetic he knew what to do. He had the three or four things that he would have to do each match. Fans would go nuts for it, and that was JYD. He didn't really get a lot of big wins. Um, he generally was, would be on the losing end, or his matches would sort of be DQ or schmozzy. And we get a huge pop for the Junkyard Dog. Well, really quickly. Go ahead. There was a pop, but I think it's enhanced a little bit in post-production because it sure seemed like an audio dub. You got to listen carefully, but Howard Finkel's voice doesn't sound like the same Howard like Finkel it might have in been. the same building. And also, I believe around this time, he was coming out to another one, Bites the Dust by Queen. So they had it to got, dub the audio. Yeah. It they got did that with the Lopper song. Them Cakes, which is, by the way, a tremendously catchy theme song that you can't get out of your head after you hear it. And I know because I watched this show last night and it's still kicking around in my head. Trust me, Guy was over. He didn't have to do a whole heck of a lot No He was always going to be bulletproof And you need a couple of guys like that Especially to make the heels that are coming up Now, unfortunately He was already past his prime as a worker If you haven't seen his Mid-South stuff From the early 1980s Where Bill Watts pushed him to the moon Watch that It's like you're watching a completely different worker And it's kind of crazy to think That he would actually go on after he left the WWF and have a match for the title with Flair, I believe, in WCW, like NWA at the time. 
So they he was still getting put in big spots even when he had very very little left because the guy he had charisma and he you get the dog headbutts after a Valentine misses the elbow. You know with Greg Valentine you're going to be getting a lot of elbows all over the place. Um and JYD would get the spot or do the spot where he gets down on all fours and he goes for the headbutts, the the dog headbutts and the crowd just loves that. He He's going to be on the uh, on the selling end for a bit as the hammer starts to work on the legs. You know, for Greg the Hammer Valentine, it's all about the figure four. So he tries to work on those legs and he tries to uh, attack there to set up for the figure four. JYD with some more headbutts, and Valentine was very good doing the uh, the flop like Ric Flair, and he would take a he would take a few hits and he'd kind of pause for a second and do the real over dramatic flop right on his face. Valentine was good here too. I'm I'm. You know, I want to watch a little bit of those Valentine Tito matches, which I'm sure were probably pretty good at this time period because these guys were in really good shape and and this was fun. I mean, there's nothing great ring work like Andrew was mentioning about JYD at this point, but you're going to get Valentine doing the heel thing. He rakes the eyes, but before that, you get the fun spot where Jimmy Jimmy's distracting the ref. JYD grabs him, and then uh, Valentine. Accidentally knocks into Jimmy Hart He sends him to the floor And then JYD's coming back He looks like he's about to win This is when the crowd really starts to get into it And heal stuff from Valentine Pokes him in the eyes And then he goes for the pin And his feet are on the ropes So he gets the win No he doesn't Tito Santana comes out Pretty crazy Tito Santana on this show twice in the first 45 minutes You know just to think about how important he was and how he was involved in multiple things. They have him come back out here because he still got stuff going on with uh, with the hammer and him and JYD were buddies. This was at a time period when the baby faces were all, all all pretty much buddies. You'd come out and save another baby face a lot of the time, which I think we don't get enough of nowadays. I hate how they make the baby faces all come off so stupid and like there's no friends and they're all loners. Why wouldn't somebody come out and help another person sometimes? That just little stuff like that that I that I enjoy. So you're not gonna get anything fantastic here, but at the end, crowd's nuts. Tito tells the referee what happened. So the ref says that uh they're gonna restart the match, but the hammer never gets back in the ring. And uh, they get uh so they overturn it, which means JYD wins by count out, but he doesn't get the title. The title doesn't change hands on a count out victory. Fun, it was fine. Didn't go anything longer because JYD couldn't do much But you're going to get Darren in a match like this The 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 greatest hits from JYD A few of his big spots He's going to do the uh, the dog head butts He's going to dance around a little bit He's going to uh, get a punch in or two On the on whatever evil heel manager he's facing It's it's pretty much a little checklist you're going to go through Yeah, and to show you the difference in the wrestling fan in 1985 versus now this this ending would have been deemed ridiculous in 2022. Oh yeah, you know where? Okay, the the babyface comes out and explains to the ref that he cheated. Whatever. In 2022, the match you know resumes, and it would have come out if if you know Greg Valentine doesn't get back in the ring, he will forfeit his Intercontinental Championship. Instead, the guy just stands outside the ring. Everybody counts along with the ref, like it's the greatest thing ever. JYD wins by count out. He's jumping up and down like the happiest guy in the world. The whole place is going nuts, and it means nothing. He doesn't want a belt. So the ending is wonky. I understand in 1985 that kind of thing was acceptable, but this is one of those things that just doesn't age well. 
This is one of those things that when you go back and you watch this 37 years later, the ending's ridiculous. Um, but yeah, the match checks off the boxes of JYD. Everyone gets a kick out of him, gets the pop. You get Valentine working on a leg like he always did back then to try to set up the figure four. Um, but yeah, I mean, for me, the ending was just uh, just left me kind of flat. Yeah, co-sign with that. I mean, these two guys were trying, but it's just one of those things where the ending just leaves such a terrible taste in your mouth. And again, you have to take this with a grain of salt because this was to set up the Tito Santana, Greg Valentine house show run that they would go on in the summer of 85. And as Gino mentioned, those matches were probably quite good. It's just a reflection of how much WrestleMania has changed Mm -hmm. between the first one and what are we on now? WrestleMania 37? Eight. Eight. Yeah. 38. Okay. Yeah. So, JYD over and Greg the Hammer Valentine elbowy as uh, we move along from the IC title to uh, our next bout. But before we do, we check in with uh, Lord Alfred Hayes. And then uh, Mean Gene <laughs> interviews the Iron Sheik and Nikolai Volkov, which. One of the few things that you will remember from some of the promos and interviews, it's going to be Sheiky Baby, of course, which I just love. He, you know, he's calling him Gene Mean. Gene Mean, which is always great. And then me, Gene, calls Volkov, call me, I mean, commander, uh, comrade. <laughs> and then uh, then Lou Albano cuts a promo. Um, he's the manager for Mike Rotundo and Barry Windham. Now, it's funny because it's Rotunda, but they call him Rotundo. A bunch, which was funny. Yeah, they, he went back and forth on that yeah. over the course of his he career did. to where it was sort of a running gag. Yeah, and that is, of course, uh, IRS, uh, the father of Bray Wyatt, who uh, was a really good in-ring worker throughout his entire career. He was a very – IRS was a kind of underrated character, and you IRS did what we wanted. You know, he got us all to boo and hate him, and – he was good in the ring. I think his best role probably was as a tag. You know, with DiBiase in Money Inc., he was good. And in these two or three different tag uh, iterations that he had, he was good. And these guys just look like young white meat baby faces. The U.S. Express, Barry Windham and Mike Rotundo versus the Iron Sheik and Nikolai Volkov. This is a tag team match for the titles. We quick start, real hot. All baby faces early on, arm drag, body slams, uh, and uh, Sheik hits a drop kick on Volkov on accident. Then um, Volkov comes in, and Rotondo and him are going at it for a little bit. Lots of quick tags from the baby faces here. Crowd really into the baby faces again. They're playing a great role here. They're doing their job, loving all the good guys, booing all the bad guys, and Sheik. With the gut wrench suplex Was really good Now I have to uh, mention Because it was definitely one of my favorite things And I, I skipped over it Right before the match We get the the Soviet national anthem That uh, Nikolai Volkov sings And the crowd boos like crazy And then she grabs the microphone And he says Russia number one Iran number one USA And he spits I just how can they both be number one? Wouldn't one of them have to be one and the other have to be two? I don't understand. You it never did... know. Maybe there's a tie and they <laughs> needed a playoff that just right. hadn't happened yet. It just is so great. And he says this again after, but 
both of them are number one. They are both number one. And then the big loogie for the USA. So Shiki Baby having some fun. And um, we get the comeback from Rotundo, but the heels drop uh, neck first on the top rope, like a stun gun here. Then uh, sunset flip near fall from Rotundo. We get Iron Sheik, who is still able to go really well at this point. Iron Sheik was what, just a year and a half or so removed from being the world champ? Like right when Hulkamania had started, uh, yeah, when yeah. when Hulk won. So I, yeah, two years ish or so. And um, Sheik was incredibly strong. We get a sunset, yeah, that sunset flip near fall. We get uh, uh, Rotundo fighting out of the hip lock. Here comes Volkov, and then hot tag for Wyndham comes in. House of Fire, awesome drop kick. Bulldog looked a little goofy, but he's flying all over the place. Crowd's going nuts. She comes in and, and interrupts, and then uh, Rotundo goes after him. So the ref is telling the baby faces to get out of the ring just one at a time, and that's when the heels get the cane from Classy Freddie Blassie. She gets the cane. He nails Wyndham in the back. Nikolai Volkov covers him for the win. And we have new tag team champions here. The heels, Nikolai Volkov and the Iron Sheik get the win. I mean, this is pretty textbook. This is probably the best match on the show, just from a pure in-ring stuff. There was the least amount of offensive things. The baby faces were really good in the in the spots when they were coming back and when they were on offenses on offense. And the heels just were doing what heels in a tag team should do. Working them over, cheating, uh, felt old school. Didn't go on all too long. It was only about seven minutes when it was all said and done. You know, probably in ring work wise, as good of a match on the show, I think, as, as there was DZ. Yeah, yeah, I would agree with that. I, I, one of the things, by the way, it's really cool to see a young Barry Wyndham here as well. Um, I, I found that interesting that they would go with a heel win in the I first agree. WrestleMania. That, that year. was weird. It was just yeah. the result was weird, but. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But, you know, Sheik and Volkov obviously were big time heels at this point, and it gave them some some options for what they could do down the road. And Sheik, obviously, uh, up until, you know, probably six months before was the biggest heel in the company and probably still was close to uh, the biggest heel in the company. One of the interesting things to give you from a, a historical standpoint, um, the, the tag titles were passed around quite a bit more. In the decade of the 1980s, mm-hmm. than the other titles. Um, from 1980 to 1989, there were 15 separate intercontinental championship reigns, so a little bit more than one a year. The uh, the WWF championship was almost never changed. There were literally six separate championship reigns from 1980 to 1989. Of the WWF championship. Uh, the tag belts, 25 separate championship reigns. Um, and it's kind of amazing yeah. when you look back, like we like just talking about the, the the tag titles kind of stayed relatively consistent. From as I said, from 1980 to 1989, there were six championship reigns of the WWF title. From 1990 to 1999, which is literally the very next decade. There were 41 championships. Oh my players. god. <laughs> <laughs> so so the the difference in a decade of of how they booked the changing of their titles from 1980s to 1990s is so insane. Uh 
whereas the Intercontinental title, obviously, there was a million changes to as well. Um, and the tag title stayed pretty similar. But they went from really protecting the WWF champion to the point where he never lost to, all right, he's going to lose probably every other month. <laughs> yeah. um, but the tag titles got moved around quite a bit. They get moved around on this show. Uh, you get a heel that goes over. But I would agree with you from a standpoint of wrestling, uh, probably one of the better things on the program. So a couple of quick things on this match. First of all, it's a decent match. It's pretty fast-paced. They're in, they're out. Rotunda and Wyndham could both really work, and we hadn't gotten to where both the Sheik and Volkov were irreparably broken down. So this match was fine. Rotunda and Wyndham would win the titles back in June in Poughkeepsie, New York, about 20 minutes down the road from where I grew up, one of WWF's major towns. So they would get the titles back. They dropped them to the Dream Team, which was Greg Valentine and Brutus Beefcake. They broke up. Barry Windham went back to Florida. Mike Rotunda went over to the AWA. And then they both made their way over to Crockett. Now, one of the great trivia questions in all of wrestling history is that the U.S. Express was initially the team that Rick Derringer's Real American was used for. That, of course, the song, better known as Hulk Hogan's theme music. And there's a recording on an old WWF The Music album where the announcers riff at the end of each song. And Jesse Ventura actually taunts Rick Derringer for having written that song because these two guys are faces and he, of course, is the heel. And it's a pretty cool little thing. But just think for a little bit about how much different it would have been if Hogan's theme music wasn't real American in the late eighties, early nineties, just the differences in presentation that went along with that. It's uh, it's, it's pretty funny stuff. I mean, what would Kenny powers have come out to his big entrance, (laughs) which by the way, is the one incredibly funny part of Eastbound and down that I thoroughly enjoyed. But uh, (laughs) no, as far as this match goes, it was fine. Title change. Yeah. It's a little quizzical, but remember set up a house show run. Yeah. That's exactly what the purpose was. Yeah. The uh Rotundo was VK Wall Street over in uh WCW for yep, yes, a, t- he was. a time being uh too. So good work from them on the, the big mania show where uh where they showed up uh in a good tag match. As we get set for the fifteen thousand dollar body slam challenge, we oh first we go backstage, mean gene interviews Iron Sheik uh Classy Freddie Blassie and Volkoff And he asked Freddie where his cane is He said, what do you mean? I never had a cane What's he talking about? Oh, what's going on? That, it was pretty good heel stuff And again, I think Sheiky said again uh, uh, I ran number one, Russia number one So, okay, Sheiky uh, I gotta hear more about this But we are gonna hear more from uh, Bobby the Brain Heenan As we head backstage with Bobby, John Studd And Mean Gene And they're gonna be putting up 15,000 Against Andre the Giant's retirement If he wins he gets the 15,000 This is so ridiculous And if Stud wins Andre would retire Um, Yeah So first off the the storyline Is hilarious too because it's like 15,000 Isn't that much I know we're talking about 30 It's literally the largest Athlete in the history Of the world being paid to body slam somebody I know and it it makes no sense It's really bad And the the match is horrible. I mean, it's horrible. The one, th- a couple of my big notes here is Bobby looks like a million freaking bucks in that tux with the sequins, <laughs> like he just sparkling all over the place. He looks great. 
Studs got the the gym bag with the money in it, and nobody nobody cares about Big John Stud. Nope. Nobody does. It's funny because he sort of get t- gets talked about like he was a big deal, yep. and he gets and this match gets brought up. In like the lure of Wrestlemania Like it was something that was a big deal Or important And wow this was bad And all it, all it was it was great for Andre To come out and get the pop But there, there was nothing In this match We got a couple punches from Stud Andre with some chops, headbutts Stud goes out to the floor He comes back, Andre's choking him along the ropes The crowd's just going nuts This thing is so So slow we then just get a blatant low blow from Stud. He just kicks Andre right in the nuts. He goes for a slam. It doesn't work. And then Andre with the bear hug. I was one of the recaps that I was like reading through. I had to quote this because I always write some of my notes and I'll kind of see how other people grade their matches and stuff. But I had to take a snapshot of this uh, of this quote. This was from the John report. It said. I call this a methodical pace, but that word is too fast for it. <laughs> and, um, the crowd starts chanting slam and Andre, a few more punches, a couple kicks, and then body slam from Andre. The, the, the kicks are so bad. So bad. It's, it's almost imagine if you haven't seen this match, imagine the Jolly Green Giant kicking at like a chihuahua. <laughs> Who's trying to hump his leg And it's like just chewing it off Like you think about like kicks now Where a guy comes and and, you know You get the leg up onto the shoulder Some of them to the back of the head He's literally kicking at like Big John Studd's calf (laughs) All right, I'm gonna need to be this guy for a minute When I'm the ray of sunshine in the three of us there's a problem. At least one of you is not doing your jobs, and we need to discuss that at the next quarterly review. <laughs> Andre had to be on the show. Oh yeah, and, um, and it's of course. Again, and it's again like the San Martino thing. It, the moment Andre slams him and throws the money out and gets the pop, that's all they were going to need. Exactly. Exactly. That's all that matters. And I understand that the setup was a loser and whatnot, but by the same token, who else was there that could have done something with Andre and looked remotely credible given Andre's stature in the industry at this time? Because here's here's what I would suggest. And and I know that they do it. If you say Brett, I'm hanging up. No, 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 no. (laughs) I know. I know. I know they do this in WrestleMania too, but let's, Let's go from the standpoint of the battle we're royal. In ni- we're yeah, we're in 1985. Mm-hmm. WrestleMania two hasn't happened yet. This should have been a battle royal that ends with Andre and Stud, and Andre mm-hmm. throws him out. Yeah, the that, crowd would have that would have been much more enjoyable because a battle royal back then was a big deal. Mm-hmm. That would have been much more enjoyable than. Well, and there could have been this. a few guys you could have brought in to get their little pop. Yep. In the crowd, right? A couple of veterans through the years sure. on this first card, like they were sort of doing with Bruno to get the the wave. So yeah, that I I agree with you, Andrew. It's not once you get there, then what happened the first few minutes before? It's fine. It wasn't like this was even the ten or eleven plus minutes like the San Martino was. It just there would have been a better way to get that use out of Andre. Looking back, doing our critical thinking and and you know analysis of these shows. Sure. The, the one thing I will say just to sort of rebut that a little bit is if Vince had already bet his money elsewhere and stuff on that show, 
And if we were doing, say, a 20-man battle royal, and he all of a sudden had to pay 18 more guys, maybe that was a hindrance as to why we didn't get that. Um, Again, this is all in the moment where Andre slams John Studd. He throws some of the money in the crowd. By the way, really cool trick that they did. The quote-unquote $15,000 was really a couple hundred dollars of $1 bills that looked really imposing. It'd be like if you gave somebody $100 in pennies and it was really heavy. But it was pretty cool the way that they did that. All this was was for the moment. Maybe you shorten it from six minutes to three. I, I understand that it wasn't good, but all this was for was for the setup to the one moment. We got the moment. Andre got to look like Andre. It's not good. I'm okay with it. Andre, one of the biggest uh, stars of all time. He got his mo- his mania moment. He throws the money out. And then afterwards, Mean Gene interviews him backstage. Andre said he wasn't in it for the money. He just wanted to show that he could slam stud. And Andre wants to keep talking. Uh, mean Gene asks him about retirement. He says, no way. So think about that. He still had five, what, six more years? That we, he was actually still doing stuff like into ninety. Yeah, his his last. Yep. What was his last? Ninety one. Ninety one. SummerSlam when he came out with the cane. Yeah. There and doing some of the stuff with Big Boss Man. I think his final actual appearance was on WCW. I think what, he did something. Really? I gotta check he this did, out. Uh, he did a WCW appearance. He also did a couple appearances in Herb Abrams's UWF against Big John Studd. Not necessarily matches, but just segments where they'd be on opposite sides. Time-wise, I don't know how that necessarily works out, but I do know that Andre was a part of that, as evidenced by the dark side of the ring that they did on Herb Abrams called Cocaine and Cowboy Boots, which, I I mean, look, I've never done the substance in question, but watching that, I believe, sort of makes you feel like you're on one of the substances, given how (laughs) ridiculously crazy and insane Herb Abrams was. Wait, you're saying you never wore cowboy boots? Never, <laughs> not once. <laughs> Andre the Giant, yeah, Andre. Uh, that that was very well done. Some of the documentaries, and there's there's some really great stuff out there on Andre. Yeah, so his last U.S. television appearance, WCW Clash of the Champions, that aired on September second, nineteen ninety two. He gave an interview alongside Gordon Soley. And oh yeah, yeah. Yep. And then he did a final tour of Mexico in 92 uh, In some six-man tag matches Alongside Bam Bam and some Lucha Libre stars He actually faced in some of the matches The uh, Mick Foley and Yokozuna In some of those Are you serious? Yeah, how cool is that? So in early, like in 92, final tour of Mexico He's doing some six-mans He's It's with him and Bam Bam And like different Lucha Libre people He he comes across Foley Comes across Yoko um, Final match of his career December 4th, 92 Teaming with Giant Baba <laughs> Which another really cool uh, thing So he had a few uh, final appearances there in the, in the late 90s So he still had, after this He was still seven and a half years later In the ring mm-hmm. By stuff. the way, for the wrestling fans out there, I just did a quick search. It's actually on YouTube. Cool. Awesome. Andre Andre the Giant and Yokozuna in Mexico in a six-man tag match. Wow. May of 1992. Okay, I got to check that out after. I that's can't cool. imagine Andre did a whole heck of a lot, but that's a heck of a find by you. 
Yeah. Wow. No, he spends a lot of the match hung up in the ropes with the thing that the he Andre spot. Yeah, yeah. The, the the normal spot there at the end, but even at the very very end, the guy was still a star. And as Darren mentioned, it's cool for us because you can see some house show stuff, but there are only what the two years that you really get to see Andre doing the baby face thing here before the end of his career. And so it is cool to see how over this guy was and yep. to see him smiling and to see him happy and to get to get the adulation from the crowd as um Andre gets the uh, the big W here as we move along to gosh, another really bad match here. Um, oh my goodness. It's it was amazing. Well, that, this is what happens when you only have the women wrestle once every nine months. That's why it couldn't I, work back then. No, and it, it was I know what they were trying to do because they wanted to have you know, to put Cindy Lauper in a program with another female, but and you could have her get a little bit physical at least, and it wouldn't come off bad like it would if with the stuff with Piper, which was good. I mean, and it was heel stuff, but you have her here, she can do something with Mula, she can try to do stuff. Oh gosh. When, the problem is Wendy Richter was just not very good here either. Wendy Richter looked like if there was like a the the way that she like her outfit and the way her hair and so some of her makeup were done for this show, she looked like if she was like at the local uh, theater in in a in like a reenactment of Tarzan and she was playing Jane. Like she's got this. She looks like her the way her hair is up and her makeup is kind of weird and she like yeah. it just not. And she's not great in the ring either. And all the, the women back then wore a one piece bathing suit as their wrestling attire. It. So we should preface this before we go much further by saying the 1980s were a very, very, very strange time. They were there. What does Austin Powers say? There was a flock of seagulls and a gas shortage. That was it. (laughs) And uh, yeah, so there the women's division at this point was fabulous moolah. And then whoever else she would book to be the baby face against her. She would just run with the title WWF at the time period. As Darren was hitting on You would see a women's match or a women's feud And then there'd be a few months Of like oh we're going to see a lot of women's stuff And then there would be two or three years Years Where you wouldn't see anything Anything on TV This happened multiple time periods Through the last 35-40 years It happened again in the early 90s With Alondra Blaze And and Bull Nakano And uh, Bertha Faye and some of them You know, They'd come out for a few months And then nothing and then you wouldn't see them anywhere on any shows, pay-per-views, any major TV stuff. Here we got Lalani Kai with Mula versus Wendy Richter with Cindy Lauper. And of course, a huge pop for Cindy Lauper. They had to dub over Girls Just Wanna Have Fun, which was the song they come out to. Before the match, we get a little promo. And Cindy Lauper says Captain Lou Albano taught her everything. I mean, this. The promos weren't great. I mean, Cindy's into this. That's what's funny is she's really into it. You could tell oh, she's, she's having fun. She's into it huge. Yeah, she's loving it. Like she and and for that's that's what made made it work. It wasn't the in ring stuff. It was the fact that Cindy Lauper and her manager, I think David Wolf, I think was his name. Um, yep. They were they were really into it. They went all in. They they were a part of this, and that's why it worked. It wasn't like. These women at the point were the biggest stars in the company or that anybody knew who Wendy Richter was and fabulous Mula is someone who we could have a podcast series about all the horrible things that she has done and and what a what a piece of work she is. But it it got again, 
it got what they needed to do. It got the job done. The result at the end is Wendy Richter winning. The crowd loves this. She's the women's champ. I mean, this it is sloppy. We get a leg scissor, an arm bar, some choking here, a hair whip. Uh, Mula's choking Wendy a little bit, but then Cindy comes in for the save. Then we get a, a kick to the stomach, a fireman's carry. That actually was that was a good spot. I got to give her credit. I made that note. She hit like a fireman's carry slam that had a little bit of impact. That was cool. It was sort of almost something that you might see as a finisher that a woman that that like somebody would use nowadays in in some of the better women. Um, that, that was probably the only spot that even really stood out to me. We get a body slam, a really bad looking backbreaker, and. Lalani Kai goes for the flying cross body, but then Wendy Richter rolls through very slowly and <laughs> covers <laughs> for, for the uh, for the win at uh, over six. So again, this has sounded like a broken record a few times. This is probably maybe three or four times throughout the card where you look at and you go, "Okay, the in ring work was nothing special," but at the end of the match, the crowd's going nuts. The crowd's really happy. The baby face kind of stand tall. And so you get that early semblance, DZ, of WrestleMania moments. Yeah, uh, you know, with the celebrity element and obviously uh, everybody's into the fact, you know, Cindy Lauper's there. and But uh, man, it's awful. The the work of the ring it's, is really yeah. bad. I mean, it's kind of funny because I didn't make it all. I was like, wow. I was like, she hit an attitude adjustment. <laughs> I know. It, yeah, it looked good. Like, that's kind of what it was. Um but then, like you said, everything else is so bad. And then the ending, like they couldn't even do the the momentum carrying the high cross body over. Like they literally stopped like middle rollover, like teeter back and forth and have to very slowly maneuver themselves back into a pin. I mean, really, really terrible ending. Um, but yes, you do get the excitement of the celebrity getting involved. The crowd eats that up. And again, it just goes to show you the difference between wrestling in 1985 and 2022, Andrew. Yeah, uh, you can't go into this match, as I've mentioned, and expect like a Bailey Sasha from TakeOver. Women's wrestling has evolved over the last three and a half decades and evolved by leaps and bounds. Now, we can't talk about Wendy Richter and the fabulous Moolah without talking about what happened a couple months after Thank this. you. So Thank you. the story goes that Wendy Richter was complaining about her pay and WWF at the time prior to a show in June, basically shoved a contract in her face and told her to sign it. She didn't. She went out to face a masked wrestler by the name of the spider lady. The spider lady rolls Richter up. Richter kicks out at one. The referee continues counting to three. They call it the original screw job. Mm-hmm. Wendy Richter reaches over, pulls off the mask, and it's the fabulous Mula. Richter goes backstage, quits, takes a cab, books a flight out of New York, and that's the end of Wendy Richter in the WWF just a couple months after she was in the semi-main event at the very first WrestleMania. Now, I think it's a little unfair to say that Randy, Wendy Richter was bad in the ring based off of this one match, given that our standard for women's wrestling sure. has improved exponentially. I'm not going to go that far. She was over, and the crowd was cheering. It wasn't all for Cindy Lauper. 
Wendy Richter yeah, was she, absolutely I will, I'll, yeah. over. Yeah, I'll give you that. She so, was. So just the way that that went down was pretty brutal. It is she bad. She did wind up going into the WWE Hall of Fame several years ago, which is good. But the Dark Side of the Ring documentary on her and on how everything went down. And they also did one on the fabulous Moolah that had wrestlers that were both pro and anti Moolah. There's a lot going on there. And it's one of those situations where with regard to the fabulous Moolah, the perspectives of her vary so much that I don't know if we'll ever get an accurate retelling of everything that went down in her career and what her legacy truly is. Because on the one hand, look, women's wrestling being what it was in the 80s and 90s, it was not good. It was not close to good. But if it wasn't for the fabulous Moolah, would it exist at all? It's no. a really tricky, fascinating it's sort a catch of catch 22. It is. Yeah, absolutely. Um, it, it, even I felt bad as uh, I mean, the, again, after this match, the crowd really going nuts. They love Cindy Lauper getting involved here. Cindy goes after uh, Moolah. And Dave Wolf is in the ring And so it did just chaos All over the place here When they go backstage And they interview Wendy Richter And Cindy Lauper Wendy's funny because she's like She she wants to, this is her moment She wants to keep talking but like all these These interviews are really quick And Cindy's all, she's all jacked up You could tell her adrenaline is flowing Like she was just getting in the ring And people were cheering like crazy for her She's got lipstick all over her teeth She's got it smudged from like maybe where she fell over in the ring. It just was funny to see. It was reminded me of like the Owen Hart moment, you know, where Owen's got the loogie there and he's getting cutting like a huge promo. It's just like, uh, oh man. But uh, Cindy was a huge part of WrestleMania. Honestly, this rock and wrestling collection connection. There were, I'm sure, a lot of people who were watching this show because of her and because she, you know. Helped put early part of WWF on the map at this time. I think she's as responsible for a lot of the people watching at this period as uh, as even someone like a Hulk Hogan um, was because she brought in all of those different type of people that may not have watched if there wasn't a Cindy Lopper on the card and and then some of them stayed around and ended up being fans of every oh Tito Santana Ricky Steamboat oh cool and you know that's kind of that's what you're trying to do when you bring in the celebrities and the stars like that so. Great job Vince When you just look at the celebrities here And in the early Wrestlemanias They were all pretty big hits They were all pretty well done Like none of them on this show I think you could say was a swing and a miss When you when you think about You know Mr. T Muhammad Ali maybe Would have liked to see maybe Muhammad Ali Get involved a bit more we'll talk about right now And maybe have something to do with You know towards the finish but you got what you wanted from Muhammad uh, Muhammad Ali you got Billy Martin got to do his thing The Liberace thing was cool Him in there with the Rockettes like They they all sort of paid off And we would see in the early years of Mania A lot of the celebrity involvement Bob Euchre would come in in the next few years It was Wrestlemania 2 I think where they sort of flubbed it When they tried to have them be full commentators Throughout the show That was just too much The commentary from like Susan St. James And Elvira actually wasn't bad When she was out there with Jesse, uh, Jesse the Body But they're figuring things out And uh we get to the main event And this felt like a freaking main event So the the match is it, It's spectacular, it's fine You know, Hogan was 
pretty good at this point He was a lot better than you would see older Hogan He still had some legs left in him Piper's a great heel, Orndorf can go Mr. T is in great shape and he's trying um, he, You know, they worked the spots with him pretty good Pretty well He got Pat Patterson as the ref in there To just make sure everything is going smoothly And you you just get the feel From the moment Howard Finkel says It's about time for the main event The crowd just was buzzing And for about 25 minutes they don't stop They just don't stop buzzing It's just different levels of like It's funny because Andrew was talking about Piped in audio and Again we don't know with some of these things but This is the audio they probably Recorded to use to pipe into other Stuff if this is the like The audio that was actually coming from Wrestlemania 1 which I think it was I think this is this was like pretty authentic This is probably there's one There's one thing that's not authentic Hogan was not using Real American as his entrance no yep That was when the US Express was using The song yep Yep. so that's a great point There but man Crowd loved it and here comes Hulk Hogan Um, So first up we actually get All of the intros for the stars So first up Fink introduces Billy Martin special guest ring Announcer and a crowd loved Billy Martin Then Liberace He introduces Liberace with the Rockettes They come in <laughs> What did uh, Jesse say Liberace's got a pretty fair kick there Gino <laughs> and, uh, As uh, Muhammad Ali gets introduced next Special guest ref, um, ref outside the ring And then Pat Patterson Who was uh, there to just make sure everything went smoothly Now we get the intros First up the bagpipes start playing And the drums Here comes Rowdy Roddy Piper and Paul Orndorff Piper's got a great look on his face Piper just, looks like he is in heaven I know. Piper looks over And you could see him try to jaw with Ali A little bit mm-hmm. And he's turning around And he's got this big organic smile And it's very similar in a lot of ways To the way Ric Flair looked at Wrestlemania 8 when he walked out And saw the crowd at the Hoosier Dome Went okay this is the big leagues Like it's that kind of thing it And is. if there was ever a doubt That Wrestlemania was a success it all went away. Piper comes out. He's beaming. He's bouncing around. The crowd hates him, and he absolutely loves it. And then Hogan and Mr. T come out. And look, again, it's dubbed over with Hogan's music, so the cheers, unfortunately, we might not know how accurate those are. But just looking at the fans, my goodness. It was great. It was great. We They, they did. I mean, let me preface this with. The main event is fun And it it Was exactly what they wanted And needed from it It is so chaotic There is just so much going on In and out, people in and out all over the place It's just, they're just moving pieces All over throughout But you got, you know, Orton outside the ring You've got Snuka outside the ring You've got the double referees There, Ali You've got, um, you know, them trying to Do their best with Mr. T and and get the best out of him And I thought they did a, a really good job with, with most of it And you know You get that nose to nose showdown with Piper And Mr. T right off the bat And then you get you know Ali takes a swing at Piper And kind of clears everybody out Because everybody gets in the ring at one point Mr. T puts Piper on his shoulders And he's doing the fireman's carry uh, Piper gets pissed off because Mr. T does a sit out switch And, and gets out of uh, some mat wrestling And then the heels are um, are in charge for a bit You get the baby faces doing the double noggin knocker Which everybody always loves And uh, atomic drop Big body slam And here comes uh, T and Hogan are working pretty well as a team here 
big boot And that sends Piper to the floor And then Orndorff is able to knock Hogan out to the, fo- to, to the floor here And um, we get the, the chair shot Hogan uh, Hogan gets nailed with the uh, the with the red the red chair there early on not the chairs that we would know nowadays then Ali's running after Piper we get the heel work double teaming Hogan and it is just it's overbooked it's nuts but it's it's crazy fun I know they did they wanted to make sure there was a ton of stuff going on throughout now things start to slow down a little bit the heels work on Hulk crowd really pumped sustained. And uh, we get the Orndorff backbreaker We get Hogan crawling over to make the tag to Mr. T Here comes the babyface, House of Fire But then he gets slowed down a little bit And uh, the heels work on him, Orndorff and Piper Piper uh, has a headlock on And we uh, we end up getting Mr. T fighting out And he gets the tag to Hogan Hogan comes back in The babyface is, uh, actually Hogan comes back in And him and Orndorff are both down so Snuka and Orton just run in And they start going at it in the ring for a little bit um, Mr. T He breaks up uh, the, the heels Working on Hogan And then Orton He jumps off the top rope And he hits Orndorff with the cast To the head for the pinfall Hogan still gets on that him cast. Yeah still wearing it I, One of the things I thought was funny Was, that, was just that they chose that For the finish and, and no Hogan Leg drop or you know no Hogan big boot It was basically just the uh, You know the cast and then Snuka throws Orton out of the way and Hulk covers Paul Orndorff For the pin crazy match DZ craziness yeah. all over The place but you know they, I think they got what they wanted out of this match They got the big star crowd is nuts That it was sort of a, a formula of an old school Tag match like WWF At the time style adding in all this Glitz and glamour and craziness yeah, I was going to say, in regards to the finish, it fits the match. You know, it it, it wouldn't, it, it probably wouldn't fit right to have a clean big boot leg drop one, two, yeah, three right. finish when the entire match is just pure, unadulterated chaos. I mean, you never know who the legal person is. Muhammad Ali is in the ring as much as the wrestlers. He seemingly wants to get a piece out of Orndorff and, and Piper the entire match, which is great, you know, but it's just not. It's just not really uh, a well-structured wrestling match. It's a brawl, which is kind of what it's supposed to be. But the finish fits what they do. Um, you know, it, it's got big fight feel to it. The crowd is into it. You know, Mr. T, I think, is better in WrestleMania 1 than he is in WrestleMania 2. Um, and that's not saying much. But from my, you know, gets a couple of body slams in there and, and takes care of himself okay. Um, you know, a couple of hot tags that the crowd goes nuts for and things of that nature. Orndorff is in incredible shape uh, at this point in his career as well. Piper's looking fairly jacked also. But uh, yeah, big fight feel. Ali has a huge role in the match. He, he's prominent in getting involved and mixing it up in different ways. And it's a, a chaos match, a chaos finish. And uh, send the crowd home happy with uh, Hogan getting the pin. Perhaps the biggest compliment that can be paid to this match is there's stuff that got done in this match that when it comes time to book celebrities in WWE, they're still doing today. Yeah. Mr. T got put in a position where they didn't ask him to do stuff he couldn't do. 
And that's the genesis of a lot of the celebrity stuff that we see. When we see the good celebrity matches that WWE puts out, for instance, Lawrence Taylor against Bam Bam Bigelow, they found a couple of things that Lawrence Taylor could really do, and they built the match around his strengths and tried to hide his weaknesses. Well, that's what they did with Mr. T here. They kept everything really amateur. They didn't let him get too far into the sports entertainment side of things. And it worked just fine. Mr. T did not look out of place in this particular match. And that's the biggest compliment you can give to somebody that's not a trained wrestler. That's basically here to get more eyes on the product from casual fans. He did his job. He looked like he belonged in the main event. And kudos to him for that. I mean, if there's one hole in the match, it's that you absolutely know the result going in. Even if Mm -hmm. you've never seen this match or heard the result, because A, Hogan's not losing. B, Piper's not doing the job. So poor Paul Orndorff is literally there to take the cash shot from Bob Orton and take the pin, which logically you want a little bit of suspense leading up to that. But for what we've got, for the time period it was in, it was totally fine. It's a tag formula that still works to this day. I can live with what we've got. The faces stand tall. The crowd goes crazy. Check the box and move on. From a wrestling quality standpoint, it's okay. It's nothing special. But this is one of those shows that wasn't booked for people like us. No. And it was a show that, you know, it's hard. We keep talking about it, you know, grading it on a curve and stuff. This was a huge deal. This this show was, we can't even really put it into context nowadays because there's so many channels on cable. There's so many streaming services. There's so many podcasts. There's so many different forms of entertainment. Back then, there was the basic TV channels you had. There were a few cable, and then there was pay per view. And and you, everybody, if there was a big event, everybody knew about that big event. What was happening? Everybody knew about WrestleMania. People in the other promotions wanted to see. You know, is, are they going to tank? You know, they were people were rooting against. This hitting they didn't want this to be Something that was great a lot of the the old school Promoters and old school wrestlers They didn't want the celebrity crossover This was real serious stuff this wasn't The movies you know In you know Paul Orndorff Was a guy who He had on some In some articles and in some Like written you know you can Find the numbers from some of the house show loops That they went on and Hogan and Orndorff had one of the better runs Ever for WWF as far as money selling tickets they had great runs they had they were teammates and 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 friends and then they were opponents they had a really great cage match also where they they both kind of went down almost at the same moment it was that really cool uh finish and so shout out to Paul Orndorff who at the end of the the match he sort of wakes up he was knocked out he doesn't know what happened and he realizes that the uh the heels have left him and they're not there with him and uh the baby faces celebrate As you would imagine it's Hogan It's Wrestlemania Hogan must Pose so we get Hogan Snuka and Mr. T Cutting a little promo after the match And they uh, Hogan talks about how he picked a great Partner it was all him DZ He knew what he was doing he picked a great oh, partner yeah. But one thing he did say he That they would be around for a long long time And uh, Hogan was definitely around For quite a while after this and we get credits at the end, which is something we don't see in a lot of uh, WWF shows, where they would tell you who was the director and the producer and some of the people in the uh, in the control room there. 
So the first I was installment. To see Terry Pola, Terry Bollea did not get an EP credit. I was gonna say right. He he didn't show up on there four times. <laughs> what did we think of this uh, final match and putting a bow on WrestleMania one? Yeah, it's uh, you know I mean look it it gets the job done. Uh, WrestleMania one is more about the historical significance as opposed to the uh, you know the overall uh, quality of the matches. Um, it's about showing wrestling as a major entertainment force. Uh, it's creating its own niche. It's building fans for the next 30 some odd years. Um, and it does what it's supposed to do. And very quickly, WrestleMania will um, continue to develop and grow into something even bigger over the next two to three years uh, with WrestleMania three, of course, being the, the show of shows like we've talked about so many times, but um, it showed that there was a place for professional wrestling as a major attraction. Uh, and it is what, you know, without this show, who knows what the landscape of wrestling looks like in 2022. And, you know, from that standpoint alone, the very first WrestleMania is one of, if not the most important nights in the history of the sport. Yeah, we had to get here at some point. I mean, from a historical significance standpoint, it's absolutely worth a watch, even just to contrast it with the way pay-per-views and big shows are presented now in 2022. It's a cool little time capsule thing. You get some cool moments. You get the blueprint for a lot of the ways WWE interacts with celebrities and treats them once they come into the WWE fold. It's a cool watch. You're not going to get five-star matches or even four-star matches or, for that matter, even three-star matches. But most of the show it's, is quick. It's easy to throw on in the background while you're doing some other stuff, and you can look up yeah. and go, oh, that's pretty neat. And, yeah. you know, from the standpoint of a legacy show, it's far from the worst WrestleMania that's ever been produced. That was exactly where I was going to go. I'm this show has the nostalgia and probably in just the cool WrestleMania one stuff that you can look back on compared to it's like two of the shows that I have been dreading that we have not picked are 11 and 12. I just don't like those WrestleManias. They're not fun. They don't feel that big a deal. I'm a Bret Hart guy and I still and and. The the match is gr- is great. The match that he has with Shawn Michaels, the Iron Man match, but it's not one that you want to watch back over and over. There's not a lot of action. I'm going to make it. a comparison here. This is a good comparison that I heard once, and I'm running with it. The Bret Hart Shawn Michaels Iron Man match is the million dollar baby of wrestling matches. Yeah. It is a fantastic thing to watch. You walk away fulfilled, but it's very tough to watch. And you only see it once. Mm-hmm. It's a compare. It's that's the perfect comparison. It's the it's the indie Sundance movies that are well done, but they're just not the most exciting thing in the world. And and it was good at the end and the finish and everything was well done for what they wanted. But yeah, those are the two that to me, I just I don't go back and watch a whole lot when I'm doing my rewatches. Like Andrew said, you could throw WrestleMania one on the background when you're doing your work and you look up and you have some fun with some of the matches and and things that are going on. And it's really quick too. besides that San Martino match. Nothing drags. Nothing else feels like it went on too long except for that match. So that's what's cool. It's, you know, it's flowing really well. It doesn't feel like it's three or four hours. It is a nice tight, just about two. 
And now we have finished WrestleManias one through ten. I think we're about at like about fifteen. We probably got about twenty of them done by now. When I when I look back, so we are about halfway through the WrestleManias. We will get there one day, fellas. Uh, and we're literally about two years now from when we started uh, doing these old wrestling rewatches. So. Again, thank you and uh, appreciate when we head back. We don't do a lot of shows where we were either not born or really, really young. There have only been a few sort of in this uh, real early to middle part of the 80s. Well, I'm, get, I'm getting old, so it's hard to find shows like that. Yeah, I was going to say, I'll, yeah, <laughs> you are getting a little bit older, too. Andrew's even getting old. He's pulling up the uh, the average of this show pretty well. And My, I'm, my wife turns 40 in June. Ooh, wow. I'm so, I'm sorry. Did did you mean to say that she turns 29 for the eleventh time? Do she looks fantastic that? too. No, yeah. no, she's gonna be 40. <laughs> I remind her, couch, buddy. I remind, yeah, I remind her. Uh, yeah. I remind her every day that there's gonna be about there's gonna be about three weeks where she's gonna be 40 and I'm still gonna be 38. Oh, that's great. <laughs> I'm, I'm similar. Stephanie is uh, two and a half years older than me. So I have a really good time with her. Like I'm, the song says, like my girl's a little bit older. And so she'll hey. laugh because she's the same. You know, she'll laugh when, when we're watching games and sports and stuff. And when they talk about players that are like 35 or older, how they're like, oh, man, they're really over the hill. They don't got much left. And she's always so offended. Like, what are you talking about? What? What do you mean? So it's, you know, it's, it's funny. Just- but at, at the same time, like I, I like I like I come home from the gym some days and it's just like stuff hurts that didn't used to hurt. I like well, clearly the solution is don't go to the gym and nothing will hurt. <laughs> yeah, but, then, but then it would hurt worse. It you would know hurt when, worse. You know? Well, the one that really I when I really noticed for me, I used to have no problem with the the hangovers. None. Drinking yeah. get drinking, being up pretty late, and then having to get up and like do work or something in the morning. I don't even do that. I won't even make an attempt at that anymore. I know if I have to get up early and do work, I don't chance it. I don't even try. I've had a few of those mornings where I'm like, what the hell happened? I never used to be that way. I, the quick recovery for me has gone away when I have a, well, a few here's, too many. Here's, here's a funny story. So last summer, uh, one of my friends that I used to DJ with, he still throws a, a pretty a popular party called Digging in the Crates every year. And they had it at a, at a pool party in Atlantic City this past summer. So we went down there and we had, we had uh, we went down for the weekend. My brother-in-law watched the kids. It was the first time my wife and I have been away without our kids ever, ever. Like they're eight and seven years wow. old. We have never been away on a trip without them. So we went down on a Friday, Saturday and came back on Sunday morning, Friday night, went to dinner, went to a, went to a bar, had a few drinks, got back late, woke up the next morning, had some breakfast in the room, went to the pool party. Stayed there till about 5.30, got back to the room, and it was like, we are done. Like, we, we, I'm not, like, I'm not going out tonight. I'm, I'm done. I just order some room service. I want to get in bed, pull the blanket up, throw on Mm -hmm. some Netflix. I'm, forget it. Like, I, what, what the hell? We're not 25. What am I doing down here? What are we trying to prove? What what I think I, I really thought I was going out to a club or a bar after spending six hours drinking in the sun, listening to the, there's no shot. No No shot. Nope. Not anymore. 
And I'm terrified to uh, to send this on over to Andrew to ask where we're going to head for our, our next old wrestling rewatch. Uh, it's going to be worse than a hangover. I think in our chat, Darren said, Darren was uh, talking, we were joking and uh, about how bad it was going to be to watch this. And Darren said, eh, probably about as bad as a colonoscopy, huh? So, uh, where... <laughs> So a couple of speaking things. of turning 40, speaking of- <laughs> a couple of things here. First of all, my girlfriend just turned 30. So Nanya um, <laughs> on the other second, end of the spectrum. There you go. Secondly, Darren, I'm going to need you to do me a favor. I'm going to yeah. need you to call the parents on the team. You coach. You can cancel next Tuesday's spontaneously scheduled practice. Okay. You can cancel it because <laughs> I not only have a good show, I have a very good show. I have a historically significant show, and I have a logical transition from the show we recap this evening. We are going to go from the first WrestleMania to the first Starcade, which was held in 1983, which means it will turn 40 next year. But this, of course, is the show headlined by Ric Flair and Harley Race in the Steel Cage. You've got Roddy Piper and Greg Valentine in the dog collar match. Which is also kind of cool because that punk MJF dog collar yep. match is coming up this weekend. Yeah, yep. right, right when we're also, about to record. Yeah, you've got Ricky Steamboat and Jay Youngblood against the Briscoes in a really good tag match. It's a really cool thing. And this was Crockett's way of firing a preemptive strike against the WWF by showing the first pay-per-view. This was a closed circuit thing down in the Carolinas mm-hmm. and the Flair Harley race cage match is an easy five stars. We needed to get there at some point. This was way too logical a transition. I couldn't pass that up. Darren, I expect you to be on the phone in about five minutes calling off practice for next week. <laughs> oh, I, I just sent out the group text. They're, they're good go. to go. They can take a day off because they've been winning so much. So give the kids a little time <laughs> yeah. to go uh, drink drink their uh, the juice boxes there. Great, I, gave great them, I gave them this. We had, we have practice on Mondays, and I gave them the speech last night before practice. I, I, I They all took a knee at, at half court. And I said to them, I felt I felt like like an NFL coach. I said, it's easy to think now you guys can't lose. You're five and zero. Oh, you're winning games by twenty five points, thirty points. It's very easy to get complacent and let your guard down. This team will not beat itself. And one of the dads is in there looking at me like, "Who are you, Bear Bryant, right now? <laughs> <laughs> They're eight years old." He's got the clip. <laughs> so great. And I was just like imploring them. Like, you know, we've got three regular season games left. Treat them like playoff games. This team is supposed to win a championship. Don't fall into a trap of like, and the guy's looking at me like, dude, they have no idea what you're talking about. <laughs> Oh, Ladies great. and gentlemen, Nick Saban has started yeah. coaching CYO hoops in Staten Island. Well, DZ and Andrew will be back uh, when we head for our next old wrestling rewatch to Starcade back in uh, 1983. We actually have uh, a sighting from Bob Orton Jr. on the show, too, which is pretty cool. So you got Bob Orton Jr., you've got Piper. You've got Valentine, you've got Steamboat, who are on the first Starcade and the first Mania that we'll uh, be able to talk about. So pretty cool for them um, being on two of the all-time biggest shows as far as uh, historical standpoints are concerned. I'm, DZ, I'm my friend. I, hope- I was going to say, I'm surprised WWE hasn't 
I know they did that one show that they called Starcade a couple of years ago. That was kind of like a fancy, it's like an NXT. They did like they, a, yeah, they did it a couple of years in a row. And there was one time they brought out Gold Dust and he stripped off his attire and came in as the natural Dustin Rhodes. Yeah, I'm I'm just surprised like that they haven't done more with the like they like it's so easy. We talked about we talked about like how WCW for all of their transgressions and all of the mistakes that they made. They had some pretty darn good pay-per-view names. Starcade was a great name. Halloween Havoc is a fantastic name. Great American Bash was a great name. There were there were a bunch of them. And I know WWE has sporadically used a couple of them in spots. You know, they, they brought war games and whatever. But I'm surprised, like, some of these big names. And I get Vince probably doesn't want that bleeding into WWE. And that's WCW. And we do our own thing. But I think it's time maybe he, you know, let that guard down a little bit and you reintroduce some of these marquee names. Damn it, pal. I'll just go wrestle Pat McAfee. <laughs> <laughs> At Starcade. <laughs> <laughs> we will talk some Starcade on the next Old Wrestling Rewatch. Make sure to give both of these guys a follow on social media, DZ. At the track seven does some great work right now with uh, Twin Spires. You're seeing his face pop up a whole lot more with a lot of uh, daily plays, midweek backs. <laughs> no, doing good work, man. You and Scott Shapiro taking a look at a lot of the prep races there. So uh, fantastic stuff from DZ and then Andrew Champagne. Now he's sort of back at home. Now he's back able to be in the uh, in the world where he's producing some of the content and putting forth some of the things that he really, really likes. Give him These a follow. People are letting me write stuff from Las Vegas in a few weeks. Hide the women Uh-oh. and children. Uh Oh, Andrew Champagne.com or give him a follow. Uh, it's just, it's just what's an- that Andrew line, Champagne. What's right? that line from the, uh, from the program? Uh, it's time to put the women and children to bed and go looking for dinner. Oh, that's a good movie. <laughs> but that's yeah, movie. Andrew Champagne on Twitter. Uh, also, the company I work for is Katina Media. Whole bunch of websites that my stuff is going to be on. The main one is the horse racing site. That's playfecta.com. Fellas, come up with a new wager. The playfecta. The like playfecta. The playfecta. Play we'll be hearing more about the playfecta and Starcade. One, 1983, next week on the old wrestling rewatch, but don't go anywhere. Still plenty more to discuss on That's What G Said. WrestleMania one. I wasn't even born yet. A couple, a couple years before I was even around. Always fun to head back to these old shows for our next one. We're going to head to Starcade. So we're going to get a chance to look at what it was like on the other side for NWA in 1983. So we'll be able to compare and contrast some of the things between those two shows. And we'll have a lot of wrestling content next week for WrestleMania. We'll have this week in wrestling coming up on the next episode with Chad Cooper. So that'll release just uh, the day after this releases. So if you're looking for that we'll have that coming up for you and don't forget the sam houston saturday spectacular we're going to release that with some nba and some nfl with eric and the wrestling segment so that'll be a loaded edition with a ton of different guests and a major focus on saturday sam houston thanks for uh, hanging out again folks we'll have another episode coming out for you real real soon and a lot happening in the next few weeks with big we got the final, the the finals of the college basketball coming up. Baseball season's going to start. The NBA playoffs will begin soon. We got all the last round of the major Kentucky Derby preps and WrestleMania coming. Woo! Love it, love it, love it. Uh, have a great weekend, and uh, we'll talk again tomorrow. 
Mighty and Thor, Marvel cracked the multiverse. Well, 